This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Coagula. The Coagula. Don't waste your strength. Don't try to fight it. You can't stop the inevitable. Behold the Coagula. Under the octopus with the steamboats, into goblins and wild oats. Come at the grand line, making a sound. The smell of death is on the rail. And at night when the cold wind blows. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1989's Society and 2017's Get Out. Kelsey. Yes. Why are we doing these two? Together, you mean? Yeah. Well, I knew that Society, I, neither of us had seen it before this, and I knew that it was about rich white people, and, like, obviously it was not a good look for them. Um, <laughs> but I didn't realize that this society is only about riches, whereas Get Out is about, about riches as well, but too. more about race. Mm-hmm. Social standing, let's just say. Yes, and Cover the whole standing. gamut. It's a good one. So we'll deal with Get Out in the second half, but I did just want to point out that just this morning the Oscar nominations were released and I didn't know this. I haven't looked at them yet. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh Get Out is nominated for Best Picture. Holy crap. Yeah. It's also Okay, but to be clear, we chose this before we Yeah, knew no, that. totally. <laughs> I've but actually cool. seen this movie th- Three times, I've actually seen Get Out three times already. This will be my fourth time. Have you really seen it three times? I think I've only seen it twice. I think I saw it once without you. Oh. I don't know why. I don't even remember who I saw it the second time. Was it with Nate? I might have seen it with Nate, yeah. I feel like I saw it with Nate and Alex. Maybe I saw it with... Hello, Alex. I know you're listening. (laughs) In any case, it got a Best Picture nomination. It also got Best Screenplay. And best actor for Daniel Kaluuya. I, I mean, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm not entirely certain. It has two U's. I know him from Skins, which is a TV show about teenagers from Britain. He is actually British. Yeah. My name is Daniel Kaluuya. I used to be in Skins. I used to rap Skins. So I say what I want anytime I want, anytime I want. I'm going to take what I want, any world I want. I'm going to take what I want, any money I want. I'll make what I want. It's the K-Man, Danny McCordy, and Ty. Ready for the regular little cool combat. Do it for the black, white, slim, and the fat, and the do it for the black, white, slim, and the fat, and the Asians too. You know me, I'm a patient dude. Wait for DJ to play this tune, just so I can lace this tune. Certain places that boy can't walk, certain places that boy can't talk, but it ain't no place that fit K can't go, because you done no man in show, you know? Pretty cool. And best... Directing. So Jordan Peele is nominated in three categories as a writer, director, and producer. And that's like the third or fourth time that's ever happened in history. As it should be. I think he's he did a fantastic job. Do I think it deserves best picture? I don't know. Oh, I think you need to take context into account. <laughs> I think maybe to make up for crash winning best picture, that might be a good idea. <laughs> Anyway, Crash we're talking is not nearly as bad as you say it is. We're, we're talking society 
before we talk about Get Out. But before we even get to society, let's do some slash cards. Kelsey, what do you got for me? So unfortunately, neither of my cards had questions that really related to our oh. movies. Oh, welcome to my world. <laughs> but both are have to do with what we're, we've already talked about on this show. Okay. So you better get them right. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. In 1989's Pet Cemetery, Ooh. what lies beyond the Pet Cemetery? The Native American burial ground. Which tribe? Hold on. So it takes place in Maine. So it's a northeastern tribe. I'm telling you. Okay. Basically, all that tells me is they're not seminal. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Native American tribes. What? What is it? What's the answer? A Micmac tribal burial ground. I had no idea. I've did never they, heard of. Do they say that in the movie? I don't know if they do. <laughs> and I've never heard of the Micmac tribe. No, neither have I. Who's burial ground? Micmac Indians. All right. I have mine for you. Okay. A lunatic harasses and kills girls in a sorority house during a Christmas party in this <laughs> 1974 film. Could it be Black Christmas? It's Black Christmas. <laughs> Good job, babe. All right. Moving on to Society Kelsey. What is the premise of Society? Society is about a rich white family in Beverly Hills and their son, their teenage son, is starting to feel a little paranoid about his life and thinks that he is not actually a part of their family. He thinks he's adopted and that something very wrong is going on. Perhaps some sort of incest is happening. Yeah, I think that's a good... Listen, this is a body horror movie, so... <laughs> If if you're creeped out by Cronenbergian stuff, then this maybe skip this movie. Actually, a lot of the movie doesn't have it. Uh, there's there's a there's a few little things here and there, real minor, and then the end just goes whole fucking hog. The last twenty minutes are uh, are pretty out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So. If you haven't already, you can watch it on Amazon Prime for free. Otherwise, find it your damn self. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about 1989's Society. Beverly Hills is known as a society of wealth and privilege. But Billy Whitney doesn't seem to be getting his share. He thinks everyone is out to get him, even his friends. You never were one of us. He thinks that he doesn't belong. And they don't even look like me. Why are you guys doing this to me, huh? He believes he's seeing things. Bad things. Beyond reality. Is it just his imagination? I'm not paranoid. All my fears are real. Or has Billy uncovered something terrible? Something unspeakable? Don't go home, Billy. You've been living with these people all your life and you didn't know anything about this? If you don't follow the rules, Billy, bad things happen. You make such a great contribution. Who are you? And now, Billy. It's showtime, Billy! Is fighting. For more than just his sanity, he's fighting for his life. The time is coming for Billy to take his place. 
society. It's all about fitting in. Kelsey, Kelsey, Kelsey. Whew. Whew. Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. This is a movie. I kind of loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting to. Directed by Brian Usna, written by Rick Fry and Woody Keith, starring a Billy Warlock, who we found out it's actually not his real name. Believe it or not, he changed his name to Warlock. It's a badass name. <laughs> it is a badass name. <laughs> Kelsey, what happens in society? So we open with him in his therapist's office. No. Are you talking about? I was going to talk about the the imagery that we get at the very beginning, but that's the first scene. We do get imagery at the very beginning, and it's really odd to me that they showed that imagery. I mean, admittedly, you can't tell what's going on if you don't know. I I should make this clear, everybody. I kind of cheated in that I knew what the big finale Uh (laughs) was, and like I had seen the scene because it pops up on several lists, but I didn't know the context of it, and I didn't really understand what was going on in it. I just saw it, and I was like, that looks disgusting. So when they showed this weird imagery, I already knew what I was looking at. Chris, did you know what you were looking at? I mean, I saw a face and I saw, yeah, stuff. I knew it was it had something to do with the body horror, but. Because I had told Chris that it was body horror. Yeah. I am not a big body horror Well, I horror saw fan. the trailer too, so. That's true. I'm not a big body horror fan. Are you, Chris? I mean, it depends. If, if you do inventive fun stuff. Like what's one yeah. that you like? I like the fly. You like the fly. Okay, so the fly is really good in my opinion, but when it gets gross, I have a a tough time watching it. And it's not because it scares me. It's just because it's like, "Ah." What about that scene in Poltergeist where he rips his own face off? That part scared me, but that was when I was a kid. Uh Now now it's just part of one of my favorite movies of all time. So (laughs) it doesn't phase me in any way. But so it opens with this weird imagery and you can't really tell what's going on. But what's funny is we 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 always watch movies with the uh, subtitles, subtitles on, yeah, uh-huh. because we have trouble. Um, you know, sometimes you just can't understand, and because we're doing this for the show, we want to make sure that we hear every line. And that, and I grew up with a dad who's hard of hearing, so we always had closed captioning on. Uh, when we watch TV and subtitles, when we watch movies. And so it's just natural to me. I always put subtitles on. So we get to see what they say is eerie music. Uh-huh. Squelching. Yeah. And laughter. Yeah. And then we get that bizarre imagery that I couldn't believe they were already showing. And then we get to see the therapist scene. No. Oh, are you talking about? I kind of remember The whole thing starts with an obvious dream. As a matter of fact, right out the gate, we get a Dutch angle where he's entering into what we find out later is his own home. And he's walking around and he hears people whispering and talking and he hears weird noises and he hears laughing. These are all the sounds that you're writing that you're talking about. And... He's afraid, but he doesn't quite know why. He's sweating profusely. He ends up grabbing a carving knife and 
making his way back into the living room and then he 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 falls down on the floor and leans back up against the the doorway gripping the knife and then his mom comes in and he just like oh that was a bad dream and then we cut to the therapist's office so we get to see him in his therapist's office and he says my life is a nightmare and he like bites into an apple and sees bunch of worms worms not like apple worms not like uh earthworms but yeah i don't know i don't know what kind of, i'm not a fisherman i don't know what kind of worms those are <laughs> can i just point okay i think from this point on i'm gonna call billy warlock john stamos jr is that okay <laughs> he does look like a john he's like stamos john stamos jr. jr yeah i agree uh-huh. with that <laughs> so the weird thing about this movie is that there is a lot of bizarre imagery and for most of the film we are supposed to think or wonder if it's all in his brain, all the, all the, all in his head. But, but it's get- confusing because the apple, he looks at it, he sees the worms, he looks away, he looks back, and they're gone. Yeah. Which kind of sets up this idea that it is all in his head. That he's head. crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they did that. To, f- to make us think that it could all be in his head until we start getting like secondary confirmation of things. And I'm fine with you making me question if it's in his head, but I guess we'll just say it right now. It's not in his head. It's not in head. his head. So then what is it that made him see the worms? Yes. Yeah. I feel like they have the ability to like do subtle manipulation to the things that you can see. You think so? I do because I don't think they did that. In well, any they other can part. twist and they can contort, right? For for instance, he sees his sister taking a shower and she's flipped around backwards, <laughs> and and the same thing with Clarissa, but he doesn't look away from Clarissa, and all of a sudden she's facing the same way again. Yes, he does. He doesn't look away, or at least not long enough for her to twist her whole body around. Well, okay, so we don't. Let's just say it right now. Okay, these people have the ability to, how do they put it, Um, stretch. Shunt. Shunting is a different thing. Yeah. uh That's not the stretching uh thing. They have the ability to stretch their bodies and, like Chris said, contort them. Yeah. It's not ever really explained how they do it. It's not really important, but... So we don't know the mechanics of it. It can be instantaneous. You don't know. Yeah, they say they 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 claim they're not aliens, but they are a different species and they but, have this ability. So they call themselves a different species. You're a different race from us, a different species, a different class. You're not one of us. You have to be born society but i think that's more just part of the story like not not no. that they're actual different species but that they are different from right, poor right. People. society wise yes. yes no no totally that's accurate and also they are literally a different species we get literal manifestations of figurative things like for <laughs> instance sucking off the poor oh we need to talk about that later because i have a lot of issues with that line yeah, that one, well, that one line. considering how sucking off means giving a blowjob to. <laughs> right, right? That's part of it. <laughs> so throughout the film, we see bizarre body manipulations, I suppose. Well, they have more powers than just that, than just the stretching. 
you know, they can swap bodies and stuff like that. They can merge bodies. They can do a lot of stuff. So perhaps subtle manipulation or perhaps maybe he is a little nuts, too. I would be. Yeah. (laughs) I I get the sense that he is kind of driven crazy by his family. And we'll talk a little bit more about why when we get to the end. So, okay, so we open up. We see this kid. He um, he has a therapist. He doesn't trust his family. He thinks something weird is going on. He thinks there's something wrong with his life. His therapist, of course, says it's all in his head, etc. But the therapist is like super happy that he now trusts him because he didn't used to trust him. So then we get to meet his family. We meet his sister and his parents and his best friend Milo and his sister's ex-boyfriend Blanchard. So Milo is a terrible actor. Nah, he's fine. His parents aren't great either. They aren't very believable. They're just very, like, standoffish to him, which, when you know what happens in this story, that makes perfect sense. But it's also just, like, they don't really know how to act. Yeah. (laughs) And the sister was probably one of the more confusing parts of the film for me. Because she seems to genuinely like her brother. Yeah, I mean, but she cares about her family more. Of course. Yeah. And of course it makes sense in the end. She's she's fully changed and so she has more of a disdain. She's for had her poor. coming out. She She's a debutante. Yes. But still, she seems to genuinely like him, which is odd for the rest of the movie. I don't know why she would. Well, because she was, she, she was raised with him. I suppose. So Blanchard is her ex-boyfriend who desperately wants to be with her still, but clearly her parents have told her she's not allowed to see him anymore because he's not the right sort for her, as she puts it. Yeah. And he, like, full-on attacks her. Like, knowing what I knew, I knew that the family was bad news from the get-go, but I was like, holy shit. Like, he full-on pushes her down, puts his hands over her mouth, because he's worried about her, true. But still, that is not the way you go about it. Yeah, no, he's gone crazy. He's a little he he's he's gone a little off the deep end. We also learned that the parents don't approve of Milo. Yeah, through subtle means, it's like I saw Milo outside, and he's like, Yeah, he's gonna take me to the such and such. And then the dad just goes mm. and turns and then around. turns around. Yeah. Like uh-huh. they basically ignore his existence. Yeah. So we find out that the sister is going to her coming out party, which our main kid cannot attend because he has a basketball game and a debate, apparently at night. Sorry, I've never seen a debate held at night that wasn't that like was for the school, not for parents. Yeah. You find out that it was all arranged, of course, because they don't want him at the coming out party. <laughs> So then we see his cheerleader girlfriend and her cheer chant is just, what is it that she says over and over again? We're number one. We are number one. We are number one. Over and over and that's all she says. Yeah, it's stupid. And why would she be allowed to do that during a debate? Because she's specifically like introduces Bill and sorry, John Stamos Jr. (laughs) And does a cheer for him. And it's like, yeah, that wouldn't be allowed at a debate. Yeah. It's interesting because we get a glimpse into what his life was like before the crazy ass shenanigans happen. 
And he just seems like he was just kind of a rich kid who was a jock, had a cheerleader girlfriend, had an amazing home, an amazing car. He never really strikes me as someone who doesn't like Fitting the rich. or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. He just doesn't like the nutso shit. Well, I think the problem is, is you can be athletic. You can be popular. You don't have to be disconnected from the quote unquote lesser people just because you're talented or popular or what have you. It's the attitude and the way you treat people and and what you do with them and how you see them as resources. That's what makes rich society a bad thing. It's not just inherently all jocks suck because our main character is a jock. I think that's kind of what they're pointing out there. So if you noticed, I don't know if you noticed, Mm -hmm. every time we see a new room in the house that our main character lives in, there is some sort of art in the background. I didn't notice this at all. That shows a melting body of some kind. No, I didn't see that at all. Mm -hmm. Not even once. There in the Good first catch. in the first shot with his parents, there's a painting on the wall. I don't know if I wrote it down what it looked like, but some something about the body was melting. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes into his sister's bedroom and sees her in the bathroom, there is a another picture behind her of a person's body kind of melting. Can you come here? I'm going to show you a picture, and you can tell me if this is it. So. What I'm showing Kelsey is a painting called The Great Masturbator by Salvador Dali. Apparently, and I wasn't able to verify this, but apparently Screamin' Mad George, <laughs> who is listed in the credits, especially, you know, even in the opening credits, as surrealistic makeup design and creation. Apparently, Screamin' Mad George used this painting as a reference so go ahead and look it up the great masturbator by (laughs) salvador dali from 1929 and you can see it's like a it's like a face melting kind of thing so then we get to see the first glimpse of what it looks like we get to see the sister in the shower which you might be thinking is a little odd (laughs) before we get there one of his paranoias is that his his family is in behaving incestually which we we don't understand why they don't give us any background as to why he thinks his family is incestuous. right but he does at one point walk into a room and they're like giving each other massages but and stuff like that's that way later right, but we can imagine that this is before the reveal so we can imagine that stuff like that happens all the time and he's not included in that but in any case there's a lot of hints of him seeing things and what he thinks are hallucinations. Like we said with the apple. Yeah. He sees a piece of her body kind of pulsing. He sees her body twisted around in the shower. And if you didn't know what he saw, it would seem like he had the hots for his sister. Mm-hmm. And because they get along so well, like... Yeah, it might appear that way from the outside, but we can see what he sees. But if he is just crazy, that would be a very bad look. Mm-hmm. He just goes into the bathroom to get suntan lotion because he's going to the beach with his girlfriend. So to describe it, he sees basically from her waist down, he sees her from behind, her ass. And then from the waist up, he sees her front, so her breasts and her face. 
and her arms are around backwards. So basically they took a real actress. I don't know if it was the same one and put a fake face on the back of her head and fake breasts. They, and like they a fake looked belly fake. Button. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was it was pretty fake. So screaming mad George. But it was hard to tell really what you were looking at. It took me a while to figure. I was like, oh, those are boobs and that's the butt. Okay. <laughs> Because it's, you know, it's behind a shower uh, door. So yeah, it's all uh-huh. distor- distorted. Yeah. So he sees that and then he goes to the beach. And this scene, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird because when you compare this scene to like the end, you're like, wow, Kelsey, like, why wouldn't you think that the ending is way more crazy? But this scene is just super out of place and bizarre. There's no making any sense out of it. So he's hanging out with his girlfriend and then these kids come along and prank him by shooting the suntan lotion all over them. He chases after them and runs into what we find out is Clarissa's mom. Why is this character in it? Why do they have weird musical stuff? I have so many questions about Clarissa's it, mom. It feels like straight out of a John Waters film. It does. She feels like she's from a John Waters movie. It, it's really weird. Basically, she's a larger woman with very bizarre hair. And, and she doesn't And makeup. And she doesn't say anything. And throughout the movie, we know that she has an obsession with eating hair. I mean. She's basically Does she a, not have a single she has a single no, line no she she is basically the handicapped version of the society aliens yeah so i had to look it up because i was just like what the fuck is this character who is this woman uh-huh. why is she in this and the only semblance of explanation that i could find was that she is a result of all of the inbreeding and so, so why is her daughter like perfectly fine? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I you know that she's a product of the inbreeding and that every single family, it doesn't matter what family there is, there's always going to be someone who's a little bit of an outsider. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of who she is. But you're absolutely right. Then why is her daughter so perfectly normal? Yeah. It's it's a little weird. And in any case, he tries to get Ted to get them invites to the party because his girlfriend wants him to. And we also have... see Clarissa again. So we, we didn't say this when they're doing the debate. She tries to get him to fuck up the debate by spreading her legs. Yeah. It's a very Sharon Stone moment, but it's really silly because he just, and starts... everyone knows it. And... Yeah, and he all of a sudden just starts saying the exact Got opposite uh, of what he thinks. Uh, yeah. I think we should have a dress code and we should follow it. We should have a dress code, I guess. And I think we should follow it in the most possible strict we possibly can. And then he, when he's running on the beach, he sees her again. And she says something weird. Most of her lines are very weird. She's a, she's a weird one, Clarissa. <laughs> she's basically the the weird, sexy character that's going to steal him away from his normal blonde cheerleader, slightly annoying girlfriend. Stupid girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. All I wrote 
all I wrote was, what is this beach scene? Because <laughs> it was just so out there. Okay, let, let's let's speed this plot along a little bit. We don't need to get into this much detail. Well, so then at the beach, the old boyfriend Blanchard runs into him and he plays a tape for him. And we find out that Blanchard has been bugging Bill's sister uh, and Bill is upset. But <laughs> what we hear is a recording of the parents and the sister talking about going to the debutante ball and her coming out party (laughs) and about how they're all gonna basically fuck. I remember my own coming out. I was so excited. Then you can do it with women as well as men. Of course. Uh, You know the schedule. First we dine, then copulation. Someone your own age first. Then with your mother and me. Then... In comes the host. We hear all this really weird stuff and basically she, get confirmation that, yes, there's incest. There's something weirder going on, but we don't know what it is. And so Bill takes it to a psychiatrist. And But we should, we also hear um, she's talking to a friend during this thing. And she, the friend says, the more you, I think it's the more you fuck, the more you can stretch, the more you can do. Yeah. And then we start to hear someone screaming. Wow, your boobs look totally sexy. Guys are going to pop high ones the second they see you. I'm a little nervous, though. It's fine. Oh, relax, Jenny. Just go with it. It's so much fun to see how far you can stretch. Yeah, the hotter and wetter you get, the more you can do. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and we also know that Ted's there, too. Yes, and he's the first one she has sex with. And then after that, it's her parents. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so so he brings it to his therapist. And his it, this is I hate this scene and it's so fucking frustrating. Mm-hmm. He doesn't trust his therapist and the therapist does. Listen, in any movie where somebody doesn't trust their therapist and their therapist might actually be a bad guy, the therapist guilts them about that. Mm-hmm. They're like, you still don't trust me. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're going to get in trouble if they don't trust you. And it's like, yeah, that's the exact kind of behavior that your therapist shouldn't be exhibiting if they have you their uh, if they have your best interest at heart because they can't make you normal by telling you to be normal or else so no therapist worth his salt is going to behave that way so it's a reason to be even more suspicious and he's like i need to play it for you now and the therapist says no you can't i don't have the time to come back tomorrow and play it for me and he says no just listen to it now and he just leaves the tape with him it's very much like rosemary's baby yeah where he is coerced into believing them despite having all the reason not to yeah and if any of you listeners, Kristen really watch it this season, it wasn't all that great. Sorry. But American Horror Story this season had a little bit of this with the doctor. Like she, I kind of loved the one moment where she was finally just like, fuck you and hangs up on him because she realizes I clearly can't trust you. And that's kind of what this felt oh, like. Oh, this is the election one? This is the election yeah, season, okay. this yeah. season. No, not that great. And he comes back the next day. The doctor had listened to it and he plays the tape back for him. And it's the same conversation, except totally normal. I remember my own coming out. God, I was so excited. You mean I can dance with anyone I want? Of course. I I don't understand. You know the schedule. First we dine, then introductions. Then you'll be presented. No. No, no. Oh my God, it's so exciting. Don't worry, dear. We'll be there to help you. I felt really bad that Bill couldn't come. I hope he doesn't feel left out. We're very proud of your brother, Jen. It's 
it's just unfortunate that he couldn't be with us. Th that's not what I heard. And the assumption is he got the mom and dad and daughter to re-record something completely innocuous along the same lines and make him feel crazy. He calls Blanchard from the psychiatrist's office, calls him Blanchard, and then tells him where he needs to meet him. And then, of course, Bill shows up and Blanchard got into a car accident and is dead, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And when he tries to get the tape, the extra copy of the tape, the cop catches him and says, get the fuck out of here. And then let, let's speed through this. He also has sex with Clarissa somewhere in here. Do you have any comments about that? Uh, only on the second one. The first one, I just was like, all right, they're having sex. It's and the second time that he has sex with her that the mother comes home again. Yeah, so also immediately before that, <laughs> they're relaxing. And <laughs> she makes him tea and she says, how do you like your tea? Cream? Sugar? Or do you want me to pee in it? How do you like your tea? Cream? Sugar? Or do you want me to pee in it? And that comment, it's not remarked on and it just moves on. No, he says you're a real class act. She has bizarre lines throughout. Right, but it's like there's no point to it. Like there's, yeah, he it's just, just silly, funny stuff. He just kind of accepts it as you're weirdo and he even says that at one point you're kind of weird <laughs> and she doesn't even remark about it she's just like yeah yeah uh -huh. they you don't know. they don't stay on it it's not a reference to anything yeah her... and the mom shows up and that's that's where we find out that the woman from the beach is clarissa's mom and she eats hair yeah and has uh -huh. hairballs uh-huh and it's just and then she says um she responds with the, the daughter home a little early don't you think so mother has that brain of yours gone completely numb? Has that brain of yours finally gone completely numb? Yeah. She says it's, it's so really weird. weird delivery. It is a weird delivery, and I have I have so many billions of questions about the Carlin family. Yes, I want an entire movie about who's them. the dad. Where'd he go? Yeah. At what point did her brain go numb? <laughs> And why is this girl, we find out later that she's truly in love with him, and they give us no reason. No, it's just that she feels for him. She likes him. She's having fun. And then when she sees him in distress, like, it really hurts her. And she'd rather go against the society than see him hurt. And I think that's their definition. That's her definition of loving him. I guess. If she's willing to sacrifice her place in this society for him. So many questions. I can't stop thinking about the mom and daughter. It's, they are bizarre and it doesn't make sense. Oh, and she says about her mother, because he asks her, what was that? Uh -huh. And she just says, she does things I don't like. What? <laughs> what? What does she do that you don't like? What are you talking what does that about? Even mean? What is this history? <laughs> I want to know. All right. So later on, he starts to realize that shit's gone south. Yeah. <laughs> and I forget what happened to him. Something happened to him. And she says, you can come home with me. He goes, I'm not in the mood. He's really upset. She goes, that's not what I meant. And then they fall asleep together in the yeah, car. Yeah, uh-huh. It's that's very sweet. Really sweet. Uh-huh. But I'm just like, why do you love him? Y you've been taught your whole life that he's beneath you. Why? I don't know. No. Yeah, well, they just needed a love interest, and she certainly adds an element to this story. 
And then they take him into the hospital and they shoot him up with drugs. And when he wakes up, he's like, everything's hilarious, I guess. And his car's there and Milo's there. And he's like, all my fears are real. And then he drives away and... And Milo's like, you realize they're setting you up. So his line is actually, Milo says, where are we going? What's the plan? And Bill, he hops out of the out of the Jeep and then Bill gets in the Jeep <laughs> and says, plan? You kidding? And he just drives off. Where are we going? What's the plan? Plan? You kidding? And Milo, of course, concerned, hops in his car and goes to follow him. Only to be grabbed by the hair by Clarissa's mom. <laughs> and he says, Mrs. Carlin, don't do this. <laughs> she's just so understanding. And he's like, like, fine, you can stay in the car. We're going to go to this place. And they just drive off together. <sighs> and she plays an important role when they're trying to break into this house. And he tries to take care of a security guard. She attacks the security guard for his hair and I guess kills him. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, she, remember she takes it off and she's like, toupee. Oh, it's a wig. Yeah. So uh -huh. He gets knocked out and then it turns out it's a toupee. But that allows Milo to get inside this party that Bill has already showed up at. Okay. Do you want to say this? Do you want to say what happens? Okay. Yes. <laughs> So first of all, we get a scene very similar to the one we opened the movie with, mm -hmm. where it's quiet. We hear noises. We hear people whispering. We hear laughter. But we see none of this. And then when his parents come home and he's trying to confront them, it's revealed that, yes, this place is full of people. And they've been disguised or hiding themselves by fucking it, the with the lights mind. were off the whole time. Right. And they were probably shaped like furniture or whatever. You know, you don't know. Um <laughs> And he gets one of those uh, dog catcher loops around his neck. And we, it's revealed that, yes, in fact, they are not necessarily aliens. They've been here as long as we have. They're a different species. But the way he says it, the psychiatrist and the judge, the way they say it, it's supposed to have a double meaning where, yeah, they are literally a different species now, but also... In social standing, they're like different species. And it's revealed that, yes, he was adopted and he was raised specifically for this ceremony. And I have many questions about that, too. Uh-huh. Because the boyfriend is also there. The ex-boyfriend, Blanchard. Yeah, he's also captured. You find out that he was actually alive the whole time. He is just a regular guy. Didn't know anything about it. Uh-huh. Until he did. And they took him in to feast upon. Uh -huh. So why the special care for our main character? Why raise it's a delicacy. Him? So what they do, they have these ceremonies often and they kill just average Joes, average poor people or whatever. Right. And then because they focus on the fact that it's breeding, that's the important part. He's adopted. He is not well bred. He is just as much cattle, regardless of the fact that he's been raised by them. As any of the others, but he has been carefully cultivated by the parents and they were eventually going to eat him. But because he found out, they moved the timetable up and now they have two of them to eat. And they originally go after Blanchard, at which point and the, the shunting starts and I'll get into this. But, but, but how does him being raised by them make him any different? 
taken care of, made sure that he's athletic. He's so almost like veal. Uh, like the opposite, but yeah, I mean, kind of. They veal versus mm-hmm. the average crow. Right, crow, cow. Yeah, because like the idea is, is that he's well raised, which makes him better to consume, but he's still bred poorly, which <laughs> makes it okay for him for them to. So it's okay for them to consume him because he's a poor breeding, but he's better to consume because he is well raised. Sure. So it's like a well raised cow. Basically, yeah. In any case, they're going to shunt. And Ted says, while this is going on, Ted says to Bill, he says, didn't you know, Billy boy? The rich have always sucked off low-class shit like you. What's going on? Didn't you know, Billy boy? The rich have always sucked off low-class shit like you. And what's happening at the time is all the people at this party are physically attaching their faces to Blanchard and they are becoming one with him and they end up becoming just this mass of body parts and, and flesh and it is grotesque. And this is where we really get into that body horror stuff, including the judge, like basically everyone strips down and while they're feeding on Blanchard, the mom, the dad and Jenny, the sister go upstairs to get it on. Yeah. It's a little unclear where the orgy starts and the feeding begins yeah. <laughs> um, because it's just kind of all mixed together and they all like just their bodies all go together. And it's just supposed to show us. I mean, if you just look at it as just a straight metaphor, we all get it. The yeah. rich are living off of the poor, obviously. And this is just making it a very physical concrete realistic interpretation so clarissa who is there ends up feeling so bad for him that she lets him go and he runs away and his psychiatrist chases after him and tries to capture him again and at one point when bill's trying to get in the room that he knows his parents are in the psychiatrist says let me give you a hand bill and then bill turns (laughs) around and his head is just a giant hand, and then his arm stretches out for him. But he ends up breaking down the door, getting in and closing the door, where he finds his mom and sister and dad have merged together into these two different beings. (laughs) The mom is walking on the dad's arms, and the sister's head comes out from between her legs and says to Bill, if you have any Oedipal fantasies you'd like to indulge in, now's the time. any edible fantasies you'd like to indulge in, Billy. Now's the time. (laughs) And then, like, flicks her tongue at his nose or whatever, and then he turns around and finds his dad with his face coming out of one of their butts. Doesn't, we don't know which one, and earlier in the movie, he he told his dad to get his hands off him and called him a butthead. (laughs) And the dad says, well, Bill, I guess you're right. I am a butthead. (laughs) Well, son, I guess you're right. I am a butthead. <laughs> hey, 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 Bill. It's bizarre. It's hilarious. It's cheesy it's and fun. it's fun. And and I mean, you know, it makes a point. As glaringly obvious as it is, it makes a point. And, you know, it's just telling us that the rich are monsters. Yeah. But he gets caught again. And he gets taken downstairs, at, at which point Ted wants to fight him. 
And so they get into a fist fight and he is like Rocky. He just won't go down. Like he he's just taking this beating until he decides to do what the judge did to Blanchard, which is shove his hand up his ass and all the way out through his head. And so we see this. Which he can do because his body is pliable. Because Ted's he was, body is pliable. Because he was yeah. trying to shunt. Yeah. Oh my god. He was god, in the, the middle lips. of shunting. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> so he's trying to. So Ted is trying to shunt with him. Right. And Bill takes this as an opportunity to shove his arm up into him. And. Pulls him away, and you get Ted making the noise. Like, it's really silly and goofy. And then his eyes burst out of his head, and Bill's fingers come out or whatever. And then he grips him through his mouth and his eye sockets and and balls his hand to a fist and then pulls his head out his ass, turning him inside out. Now, we don't know necessarily that he dies. We get a little slight confirmation later, but they're like, don't touch him until he's congealed or whatever. <laughs> Implying that he might be able to come back to life. But the last line in the movie suggests otherwise. We'll get there in a second. This whole time Milo's been here and he's just been seeing it all. He doesn't necessarily do anything major, but they run out. Bill, Clarissa and Milo, they run out, they get in the Jeep and they drive away and cut back to the inside of the house and them like, oh, well, he got away or whatever. I wrote, is that how it ends with this quote that the judge says to the psychiatrist? It looks like I'll have an opening in Washington next summer. Well, Dr. Cleveland, it looks as though I may have an opening in Washington next summer. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because Ted was going to be the judge's intern Mm -hmm. and credits. And that's the end of the movie. Now, I think it's important that he just gets away and then not all defeated, because I think the implication is. There is no hope of defeating the rich. You're not going to like you just need to get away, get yourself away from this society and just. Yeah, just getting out. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Just getting out is your best chance of survival. Th- listen, this movie is really ham-fisted. It, it wears its message on its sleeve. <laughs> but there are little touches like that that they don't completely spell out that maybe I'm reading in too much, but I think that's an important interpretation. It's funny because it feels like there are some subtle things going on. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> but then after you see the big scene, you're like, well, I kind of feel like everything that was subtle was probably in my imagination. Yeah. I don't think they were it's trying no for any subtlety. Subtle. <laughs> this, this movie is as subtle as a brick to the face. It is but so okay. not subtle. But it's okay. I don't yeah. mind it. I don't it's, mind that. It's a nice brick. <laughs> I, it's just, it's so out there and bizarre and hilarious and fun to watch that I'm okay with it not being subtle in any way. Yeah. So Kelsey, what do you want to talk about, about society that we haven't already mentioned? That's kind of everything. I just, I have so many questions. I just, I want this world explained to me. Yeah. I want to know why. Okay. I get that it's all about breeding. I get that. And I understand that it's in breeding as well, but like, I mean, that's a reference to, like, blue bloods and things like that. But with the parents is weird. Like, usually it's, like, cousins. I don't know. It. No, 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 no. It's just, 
they don't have any of those morals. Don't read too much into that. I know. And like, just like I said, the Carlin family fascinates me. Yeah. I want to, I want all their backstory. I want to know what makes it special that he was brought up in this family that makes him taste better. I want to know what they're getting out of the poor bodies. I I understand the metaphor, but if you were to take it in the literal sense, which they have definitely done Mm -hmm. in this movie, what are they getting out of him? I think they're getting sustenance and new skin and they're lasting as long as they can. Like the judge is really old. I think he's really, really old. And And he's lasted as long as he has because he does this shunting. And I understand, again, the metaphor, they're all monsters, the rich are monsters. But they're not. Like, you can be redeemed. Clarissa gets out. And and why, like, how is she redeemed? By having compassion for those that aren't as privileged. Yes. Having compassion. But what was her story before? Again, the Carlins, they just, they, yeah, uh-huh. I, I want to know. Can everything. we have a story, and a sequel with just them? <laughs> right? Yeah. But, like, why do they stretch? For what purpose? What Evolutionarily does Evolutionarily speaking, why? <laughs> just... So many things. So many things. So I was reading a Den of Geek article, and they talk about the bad reviews that it got, but they also mention, you know, positive reviews, and it says, The LA Times critic described it as a gory assault on privilege and compared it to Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. Have you heard of A Modest Proposal? I think I've heard of it. If you ever, if you ever hear about Jonathan Swift, odds are they're talking about a modest proposal. Okay, and it is basically social satire from really early on, the early 1700s, basically. Here, I'll explain it to you, and and you'll get this. It's an apt comparison, and goes a long way to explain why society has survived as a cult item. A modest proposal was published in 1792, and its full title was. A modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents and country and for making them beneficial to the public. In it, Swift suggested that the poor of Ireland could help themselves out of poverty by selling their children as food to the rich. It's a scathing piece of satire that still has the power to shock today, designed as an attack on what Swift saw as the inhuman treatment of the poor by an inept and uncaring political elite who saw them as commodities. And that just take out Jonathan Swift and pop in Brian Yuzna and effectively this. This is his modest proposal. But it's framed a different way. In a modest proposal, he's suggesting that they enact this plan. Not quite as clever satire in society. Right. I hesitate to say that he he used the story as an excuse for the body horror because I he really did. do think I really do think that he was making a statement. So I'm a little bit bummed because I couldn't find this. Bloomhouse did an interview with him with Brian Yesna, the producer, and apparently this information is in there, but when you go to their website, the article doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of a bummer. So I can't actually confirm as having eyes on this article but basically what it says is that he claims that he engineered the film's plot points based on special effects ideas or gimmicks he was more interested in the surrealism of the story than the logic so he wanted it to be really weird he wanted to have these effects and he backed into the story 
So unfortunately, the story was not as important as the surrealism. Like he knew the basics, like he wanted, oh, the rich feed off the poor, and it's going to be really weird and gross how they do that. Now, what effect shots do I want? That's and really then odd. Build the story into it. I read that originally the story was going to have it be like his family was like a part of a religious cult. Yeah, that was also true. Oh. They're just not an alien species. They're just part of a cult. I would understand why people would say this entire movie is only in existence for the shock yeah. of the ending. But it also lays on the message pretty thick. Yeah, I, I disagree that that's all they were working towards, because if that was all they were working towards, why wouldn't they have done more of, of it throughout the film? Budget? I don't know. From from what I could piece together, Yasno wanted to make this movie as his movie, but nobody would let him. He was a producer on like Reanimator and stuff like that. And so he agreed to make, I think, a sequel to Reanimator. But he said, only if I get to make my movie first. And so this is this is the only reason why he got to make this movie is because he basically held the Reanimator sequel hostage. Well, if you don't mind body horror... And, and stupid stuff. Yes. Ridiculous, silly stuff. I do recommend this movie because yeah. it is awesome. It, yeah, it's fun. There's this line that's like a tagline of the movie. You'll make a great contribution to society. It didn't pay off the way I thought it would. They say it twice. The psychiatrist says it once. The mom says it once, hinting that there's a connection there. But they never say it again. And I thought they would say it in the climax, but they didn't. And I felt like that was a missed opportunity. I can say really quickly that I didn't realize that they didn't want him to be a part of the society. I thought they were grooming him to be a part of it right. and that he would reject it and no. that would uh -huh. be when they attacked him. No, the contribution part is that he's a resource. He's a commodity. Right. I did not put that together until... The, the story revealed it. It, well, I mean, like, they kind of hinted at it a little bit. You started to realize, eh, it doesn't look like they really uh, care about him. Yeah. But uh, there was just so much that I was like, I almost feel like that would have been a better story. Yeah, like they're proving to themselves that breeding's important or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one last thing I'd like to point out about this movie, and it's in direct comparison to our last week's episode, is that usually I hate it when endings are spoiled. I hate spoilers. I want to I want to experience the movie as if it is the first time every time. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite like I like that, but it's 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 few movies that I feel I need that. Part of me likes to know the spoilers so I can better understand what's going on and 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 like have better insight into it than than just having your mind blown at the end and having to watch it again to understand it. I don't mind that at all because I never mind watching, unless I didn't like it, I never mind watching a movie multiple times. So I said earlier that I knew going into this what the big reveal was going to be at the end. Like I said, many, many lists have posted pictures or even some have shown video of what it was. So I already knew that. So going into this movie, I was totally prepared to, for it to be a completely grotesque body horror. It ended up not really being that bad until the very end. But I feel like if I had gone to this movie not knowing that, and then it was that at the end, I would have been like, fuck this movie. <laughs> 
I don't know for sure because I didn't, but I'm fairly certain that I would not have enjoyed this nearly as much, if at all, if I had not known what was coming. Interesting. It's something else. But also, I think going into it, knowing what I was going to see, it didn't seem as grotesque to me because I was expecting it to be much worse uh than it actually was. And for anyone who is disgusted by it, like if you watch this and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That was so disgusting. I've really thought about this. (laughs) I've really thought about it. Like, why wasn't I that grossed out by it? Yeah. Because there is squelching, as it The puts. squelching, yeah. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of lubricant. Uh-huh. And just skin being stretched. But I don't think skin really grosses yeah, me Yeah, there, there is specifically almost no blood. Mm-hmm. There's that one scene where the guy has his throat cut. Uh, but that's fake. And, and there's blood on the ground from the car accident. Yes, but, but that's also fake. Yeah. So uh, from what I hear, I can't confirm, but apparently Yasna intentionally shied away from blood, especially during the shunting scene, because he knew it was already going to be hard to accept and he didn't want to get rejected by the MPAA. So he kept blood out of it intentionally. So maybe that's what it is, especially since... When they're when they first start and it looks like they're biting into him, but it ends up being they're just melding with yeah, him. Yeah. Uh-huh. It does not look real. Uh-huh. It looks like they're putting their mouths on him and they're not doing anything. Especially with Ted and his lips and the <laughs> thing. <laughs> But I mean, like, when they first bite into Blanchard. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying, but like it's not exactly the most realistic. Exactly. I think the most disgusting scenes are when they pull away from the body, and so the skin is stretching from the body up to their mouths. Uh I think that's probably the most gross part. But even that, I guess skin just doesn't gross me out. Okay. So... I didn't really think it was that disgusting. In, In direct contrast, we're saying, though, to The Sixth Sense, which you're glad you knew absolutely nothing about, and this one, knowing ahead of time. I mean, it's so bad, guys, that like there are trailers I won't watch because I feel like trailers give away too much information. Yeah. So when it comes to a twist ending, I don't want anyone giving me any hints that there's going to be a twist. But if it's like a content warning kind of thing. Yes. Then yeah. I would like to be known. I would yeah. like to know what before. Absolutely. Okay. So what do you think Rotten Tomatoes gave it, Kels? Listen, if you're new to the show, we do understand the way Rotten Tomatoes works, that it's just an an up-down, pass-fail rating on reviews, and then it gives you the percentage that say it's good. We do understand it works that way. What do you think the rating is on Rotten Tomatoes? I feel like it didn't. It probably didn't do very well because the acting is pretty bad, and some might consider it just pure schlock and not worth your time. So I'm going to guess... 58. Straight up and down, 50%. There it is. 10 reviews, 5 positive, 5 negative. Not even enough to make a consensus. Wow. Yeah. So it is considered rotten because I think it's like 60% or something like that for fresh. But if you had your druthers, Kelsey, and you could give it a rating, what would that rating be? Probably a 70. I was thinking like 68, maybe just under 70. But yeah, all in all, if you like body horror and stupid horror movies... You know, that's it's absolutely a subgenre of horror is dumb horror. Yeah, I mean, I would not 
say that this is an amazing horror movie, you know? Right, it's not even that scary. In it's fa- just grotesque. Oh, yeah. And in fact, even thinking about past movies that I've graded on this, I would assume that some people are like, how on earth could you put this as higher than that or whatever? Mm-hmm. And my response is, those movies probably weren't as fun. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is just fun. Yeah, like... I, th- I think Clarissa's mom adds a lot to this movie, <laughs> and I have no idea why she's in it. Exactly. If... It's a lot of that kind of stuff. If afterwards, I've just got a big smile on my face and a confused feeling inside, you've probably got a good grade from me. (laughs) Unless upon further reflection, I think it's really bad. Like, after this movie, I was just like, in a perpetual state of shrug. Like, Uh I don't know what I just watched. But it was awesome. Yeah, it, it was it was nuts. That's 1989 society. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey... Give me a question. Okay. In 1978's Halloween, what is the name of the boy Laurie Strode has a crush on? Shut the fuck up. Let me think. Let me think. God, is it Tommy? Tommy something? Tommy is the boy that she babysits. Ah, damn it. Damn it. His name is Ben Tramer. Right. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Damn, that was a hard one. Mm-hmm. They only ever say his name. You never actually see him. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see him, I think, in the sequel. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. It's been a long time since we've seen the sequel. I we think need I've to seen that. the sequel once. Yeah. All right. We've actually seen three more than we've seen two. Yeah. Kelsey. Yep. Who directed 1978's Halloween? John Carpenter. That's right. I knew it was easy, but I figured, ah, oh, Halloween. We love that movie. And you give me what's the name Jamie Lee Curtis's character's crush who you never see on screen. And I give you who directed it. God damn it. All right, Kelsey. Yes. We're going to move on to 2017's Get Out. Woo! So before we get into Get Out, I think we need to make perfectly clear Kelsey and I are very white. I'm Scotch-Irish and German, and she's French and English and German. And Scottish. And Scottish. Yeah. And so we are just so incredibly white. (laughs) We have our own perspective on this film, and that's what we're going to be sharing with you. We will share... Things we've heard, but they're gonna you're gonna hear some stuff that we don't have the best perspective on. And we're not going to because we are white and there's a lot about different cultures, especially black culture, that we just don't know. So just keep that in mind as we're talking about this. We're giving you our perspective as two milk toast white people. Uh and that that's really all said, we can do. We're considered by our families. Yeah, our families think we're a bunch of SJW liberals. So <laughs> You know, it's not like we're hopefully we don't say anything offensive. That is not our intention. Hey, and you know what? This is a great opportunity. If we do say anything that you consider to be offensive, let us address it. Just go ahead and write us. Send us something on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. Send us an email at podcemetery at gmail.com. Be nice. And we'll address it on our next episode. Absolutely. I'm I'm more than open to address any slights that we may that we may do. Because we think- definitely never want to alienate or right. offend. Absolutely not. And so this is probably the touchiest area that we've really had to address. I, I mean, I guess since Red Christmas. 
So, Kelsey, that being said, what is the premise for Get Out? A black man is dating a white woman, and she has invited him for the weekend to stay at her parents' house. They've been dating for a few months, and it's time to meet the parents. Uh huh. And they are a rich white family, and he comes from a more poor background, but he's a talented photographer, and he comes to visit with them. And it's made pretty quickly clear that he feels uncomfortable. Yeah. And they end up having some big party at over the weekend that he's staying there. And his discomfort grows and we, shit gets we, real. We, we get to see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, if you haven't seen 2017's Get Out, I implore you to. It's a fantastic movie. There is a reason why it was nominated for best picture and best screenplay and a best actor and best direction i haven't looked at the nominations i don't know what it's up against for screenplay and admittedly i don't think i've seen a lot of the movies that are up this year which i am going to change because i do every year the academy awards are the only awards ceremony that i watch every year religiously even even though there's all sorts of problems with the academy oh, many awards. many problems yeah. it's just <laughs> it's just ever since i was a kid anyway it is really good, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So even though I haven't seen what else is against it for screenplay, mm -hmm. just based on just the movie itself, I could see it winning best screenplay. It is sure. wonderfully written. Yeah. I don't know if it's best movie, best picture. As much as I love horror, it's really hard for me to qualify a horror movie as a best picture qualifier. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this this one has something to say, and we can get into that after the after the jump. So, go ahead and get your hands on this movie any way you can. I would highly recommend you watch it if you've seen it already. Watch it again, and then come back, and we will talk about 2017's Get Out. We're here. Are you ready for this? How bad can it be? Call me Dean, and you're hungry, my man. We're thrilled to have you up for the get together. I want to introduce Rose's boyfriend. I'm Chris. Couldn't see another brother around here. Something is weird. Come in and sit with us. Sink. I can't move. Why can't I move? You're paralyzed. Get out. Get out. Get out. Rated R. Kelsey, we're in trouble. Why is that? Because I've already edited the first half of this episode, and it's an hour long. So... <laughs> This is probably going to be another long episode, and I'm sorry, guys. I know. I can't believe our last one was almost three hours. That's yeah. a little ridiculous. Is, well, we we did two very, very good movies. I'm surprised we had as much to say as we did about society, but we talked a lot about other things, too, <laughs> about, for instance, Get Out being nominated for the Academy Awards. So it's not all about society. Yeah. <laughs> There is something I'd like to say about Get Out. We briefly touched on it before the trailer about how, you know, we have a completely different perspective than the one that the movie is trying to portray. And we recognize that. So I just wanted to say that a lot of what we're going to talk about is surface level thoughts, you know, our own personal analysis, uh, did you know type trivia stuff. So don't expect this to be like a well scripted critique about race relations in America or anything like that. Uh, if if that is the kind of thing that you're looking for, there are a few articles I would recommend by uh, people of color, including 
The Giant Leap Forward of Jordan Peele's Get Out by Brandon Harris for The New Yorker. Get Out perfectly captures the terrifying truth about white women by Kendra James, which was in Cosmopolitan. Getting In and Out, Who Owns Black Pain by Zadie Smith for Harper's Magazine. Or the most overlooked and underrated characters in Get Out are Black Women by Brittany Willis for Huffington Post. There's also a few YouTube videos where you can see Jordan Peele talk about his own movie in his own words. There are a few fun ones. For instance, Jordan Peele breaks down Get Out fan theories from Reddit, which was a Vanity Fair video. And that's pretty funny. He addresses the theories that people had on Reddit. And Jordan Peele explains why Childish Gambino's Redbone was perfect for Get Out, which was on the channel Hip Hop DX. Redbone's a really good song, and a lot of it applies to the movie. Uh, so listen to the lyrics of Redbone if you haven't already, and, and see if you agree. Anyway, all of these articles and the videos they discuss Get Out positively in general. They don't agree on or discuss every point, and neither will we. To that end, we think it's important to share a diversity of viewpoints on a sensitive su subject like this, uh, particularly the black voices whose perspectives are so vital. This isn't every good article on the topic. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So look for it. If you want to get more, you don't have to look very far. Voices are out there. All you have to do is listen. I think that's pretty important. I think that's an important statement to make. What do you have? Uh, uh, you just sounded really cheesy when you said that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. There is a particular scene, which we'll get to, where one of the characters says, well, that's not my experience. And I think that's pretty important. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we get there. But yeah, it, it of course it isn't. <laughs> that character is actually, and, and we'll get to that at the time, an elderly white woman. So if you aren't a person of color, this movie isn't about your experience. So don't expect it to reflect your experience. It's not about our experience. You can't be more of an expert on what a life is like than the person who actually lives it. So, you know, keep that in mind. That said, you can't really talk about how good this movie is without talking about the black experience. So we're not going to avoid it. But we're by no means authorities on the black experience. Our job when touching on topics of race in this episode here is to talk about how it relates to the film. Right. And we can sympathize in the literary compassion sense, but we absolutely can't empathize. And we're by no means are we guaranteeing we're going to get everything right. So if you'd like to correct or inform us of something on the topic, or if you just want to share your own personal perspective, by all means, write into us, podcemetery at gmail.com. If you want, with your permission, we can share your message on the show. In any case, the issue at hand is benevolent racism, which is, I think, a little bit different than what people expected the movie to be when it was first announced. A lot of people were thinking, oh, it's going to be about racists. And it is, but probably not the racists you would expect. These are like the false ally racists, the ones who think that they're total allies but they're really not they're taking well, just as much they advantage. have the veneer of that yeah they don't really feel that way well i think they really do but they're they're lacking the compassion necessary to go along with it right they feel it's morally right but they have no compassion for the people that they're dealing with i suppose so <laughs> so before we get into the story i wanted to talk about daniel kaluuya kelsey you like Daniel Kaluuya, don't you? Yeah. So I think I said this before. You did, he, yeah. He was on the television show Skins, which is a British TV show. If you 
haven't seen it, it is on Netflix. The music isn't exactly the same as it was when they first aired, but whatever. If that doesn't bother you, then it, the show is great. The It's about teenagers in Britain, and I think it's... I think it's pretty relatable. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this after he was on the show as a character. They kept him on as a writer. You know, they had these young writers writing their own perspectives, kind of similar to what we got here, writing from your own perspective. So, yeah, no, I think it's a it's a very good show. If you're not into teenagers doing drugs and having sex, then maybe stay away from it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of explicit content. And we're going to talk a little bit about how. Daniel Kaluuya is British in just a moment, but you also might know him. He's from one of the most famous Black Mirror episodes out there, 15 Million Merits. Is he the main guy on that, in that he episode? He is, yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. I don't remember it being him, but... It's been a while since we've seen it. We can go back and watch it. He's also in Kick-Ass 2 and Sicario. Which we did not see. I don't remember him being in Sicario either, in Sicario, but I didn't really yeah. like Sicario, so that doesn't <laughs> surprise me. But Skins is fantastic. He's not, like, a main character, and he's only in the first two seasons because that's the way the show works. Every two years, they would get a new cast. So he has a rather small role, but he's pretty funny in it, yeah, if yeah. you can understand what he's saying. Because yeah. there are times when you can't Maybe understand. turn on the closed captioning. <laughs> yeah. And that's intentional. It's part of his character. And when we talked about Skins earlier, I, I, I played the bit where he's remembering as an adult the rap that he does in the show and it's really hard to understand him yeah the accents i was and everything. pretty surprised chris showed me that video and i was like huh you still can't really understand him <laughs> he should just always have an american accent his american him... accent is so good in it's this so good i i bet that most people ha would have had no idea he was actually british yeah so speaking of him being british samuel l jackson got into a lot of controversy around the time the movie came out Kong Skull Island was coming out and he was on uh, Hot 97, which is a radio station in New York. And he said something to the effect of, um, you know, would Get Out have benefited from having an actual African-American actor in the role? I think people blew it out of proportion. I read that quote, too. Right. It's, and it it's seems pretty, pretty innocuous. Yeah, it's pretty malign. It's just like, you know, I think it would have been a little bit better if they had put an American in there. Because right. it's about the American black experience and he's not American. Right. I, I have absolutely no idea what it's like in Britain. The point that Samuel L. Jackson made is that, I mean, they've had interracial marriage for like 100 years. We we didn't get that for a long time after that. So uh, it is a completely different experience. We have a different history with race uh, in America than Britain does. So I wanted to share what he had to say in response on this topic. He does say that, you know, he respects Samuel L. Jackson. He did a lot for black actors, but he says, and I'm going to be quoting him here. When I'm around black people, I'm made to feel other because I'm dark skinned. I've had to wrestle with that, with people going, you're too black. Then I come to America and they say, you're not black enough. I go to Uganda. I can't speak the language. In India, I'm black. In the black community, I'm dark skinned. In America, I'm British. <laughs> I really respect African-American people. I just want to tell black stories, he continued. This is the frustrating thing, bro. And you can tell in that clip that I played earlier. He uses the word bro a lot. Uh, in order to prove that I can play this role, I have to open up about the trauma that I've experienced as a black person. I have to show off my struggle so that people accept that I'm black. No matter that every single room I go to, I'm usually the darkest person there. You know what I'm saying? I kind of resent that mentality. I'm just an individual. I see black people as one man. I resent that I have to prove that I'm black. 
I don't know what that is. I'm still processing it. That's a pretty powerful message. Yeah. I mean, you could extrapolate from that that a lot of people feel that way, you know? Yeah. What it, it, various communities are going to shun you while others are like are also going to shun you because it's just you're not enough of whatever it is that they claim yeah. to be. I mean, this is a little anecdotal, but the Hodge twins, which they have a uh, they have a YouTube channel among other things, they do speaking <laughs> engagements and stuff. But they're uh, light skinned and they have blue eyes and they talk all the time about how they get a lot of pushback from the black community for claiming to be black because they're not black enough yeah i mean i teach a lot of hispanic kids um and we're actually talking about discrimination a lot in class right now and a lot of them have told me you know i look white so when i go to my home country because i have family still there i get a lot of racist comments which is funny because here in america i get racist comments for being hispanic you know when I'm in my home country, they tell me I'm too white. When I'm here, I'm Hispanic. It's the same idea. Right. So let's talk about the movie. Kelsey, I want to try to burn through the actual plot elements as absolutely fast as possible. Okay. Because either you've already seen the movie or you're not here to get a plot synopsis. So let's uh, let's try to burn through this as quickly as possible. Okay. So Chris is a black man who is dating Rose, a white woman. They live in, like, New York City, I think. I, I'd like to point out, actually, that Jordan Peele, the writer and director of the movie and producer, uh, is actually married to a white woman, Chelsea Peretti. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's another comedian. Really funny. I like her. I, I like her a lot. That's just his own personal experience. He actually is married to a white woman. Mm -hmm. So they're dating... They've been dating for like five months, and for me, that seems a little early to take your boyfriend home to meet the family, especially staying for a whole weekend. Well, there's a reason that it's so early. <laughs> right, but I'm surprised he would have agreed to it. But he like is head over heels for her, I guess, is the implication. And he gets more so as the movie goes on, because yeah. he opens up to her, and she's very comforting to him, and you know, he's like, oh, I, I can feel safe around this person. So she takes him home. And her family, while being very welcoming, is also very obviously they are white people that are trying to be welcoming to a black person. So there's they a don't treat him like he's just a normal person. They treat him like a black person that deserves special treatment because of that. Right. There's there's a term for this, and I fucking hate this term. If you use it, stop it right now because you're an asshole. The term is virtue signaling. And the idea is, is that you don't actually feel the way you feel. You just say the things that you feel like you're supposed to say so you get credit for it. And it's fucking awful. That said, these people are virtue signaling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they feel the need to go out of their way to say how accepting they are when they could just accept him and that would be the end of it. But what's interesting is that Rose points it out. Rose totally is just like, oh, my God, I can't believe my dad said that to you and the way my brother treated you. Ugh. And at the party, like, oh, it's I can't believe such that. a great scene. And all of these things, it's really fascinating when you consider the fact that she's acting this entire time. Yeah. She doesn't actually agree or believe in what she's telling him. Well, I think it's really interesting, too, that you take take it at face value. Take it for granted that she actually believes the things that she's saying. She's brushing her teeth in the bedroom at the end of the day. And he's on his laptop and she's like, I can't believe all that this happened. And he's like, mm hmm. 
and you know she keeps going on and he's like yep and like that's his only response because he called it he knew that it was going to happen this way he is not surprised at all he was going to put you in a fucking headlock what is his problem he's never treated any of my boyfriends that way ever 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 mm-hmm. oh my god and then my dad was my man stuff my man my man i don't think he's ever heard that or said it and now he just it's all he says Yep. Oh, and my mom being rude to Georgina? What the fuck was that about? That was so crazy. I mean, how are they different than that cop? That's the fucking bummer of it all. Mm-hmm. And then this person who's related to these people is surprised by it. And so he pulls out an I told you so. Mm-hmm. Anything more you'd like to add? I told you so. Like... Which is similar to later on in the movie when Rod tells him, I told you so. So Rod is his friend, and he told him, you know, don't go. Like, don't stay at a white person's house. <laughs> Out in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. It's in the middle of nowhere. They're obviously rich. So I can understand why that would be like, don't go there. Like, something bad might happen. Well, even Chris says at one point, and this is where the that's not my experience line comes in, where he talks to Georgina, and he's like, I don't know. There are too many white people around, I get nervous, you know? All I know is sometimes, but if there's too many white people, I get nervous, you know? And she's like, that's when there's the scene, the famous scene of the no, 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 that, that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 that's not my experience. Not at all. The Armitages are so good to us. They treat us like family. And she says, that that's not my experience at all. We find out later, of course, that she's, she's a, white a white woman. Person. She's an elderly white person, which is also why she doesn't get the code of snitch. You know, he, say, he says he didn't mean to be a snitch and she doesn't know what he's talking about. I wasn't trying to snitch. Snitch. Rat you out. Tattletale. Yeah. Yes, so... Oh, Tattletale. <laughs> I was going to talk about this later, but I guess we can talk about yeah, it sure. now. Uh-huh. There are only three characters that we get to meet that are supposedly black. We end up finding out that they're actually white people inside their bodies. Yeah. And... I have a bunch of questions about that because they make it sound like there have been a lot of them. And I'm like, okay, where are they? Why don't we meet those people? Why do we only meet three of them? Yeah, we get to see a lot of the photos mm-hmm. of Rose with her black boyfriends. And in one case with Georgina, a black girlfriend. Right. So the whole idea is that Rose dates people of color, brings them home, and then they knock them out and they basically swap their brains with a white person's brain. Yeah. For various reasons, but usually it's because they want to be younger, they want to be in better shape, um, etc. Anyway, all three characters, Georgina, the groundskeeper, Walter, Walter, and... Andre. Andre, and I can't remember what his white name is. All three of them say and do things that are definitely supposed to be obviously white. Right. Like, if you know the ending to this movie and then you go back and watch it again, like, if you've seen it once, I recommend you watch it twice. The context of everything changes. Right. But when you know that, and you know that they're acting this way because they're supposed to be white people, 
I don't take like offense to it. Don't think that I'm like white people aren't like that. Like I don't give a fuck. You can make fun of white people as much as you want. We there's plenty of things about us to make fun of. <laughs> But some of it is a little unbelievable. Like the idea that she doesn't know what the word snitch means. I understand she's supposed to be an older white lady. Yeah. Who hasn't heard of the word snitch? Well, she's she's an older, affluent, completely closed off to anything outside her immediate experiences. Type and of I person. understand that's what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. You just and don't I believe get, that her not knowing snitch is very believable. Right. Like, I mean, well, I, I get it. They're just, try, they're just trying to make a point and a quick point. They're not going to sit there and get, let you get to know this woman and see the differences. It's, but it it's just a silly thing for her to not know. It's also a reference. We'll talk about all the references a little bit later. This one in particular is a reference to the Stepford Wives, where one of the downsides, if you haven't seen the Stepford Wives, you know, go see it. It's Maybe about, we'll do a... Double feature of those two. Yeah. It's about women in a affluent suburb being replaced. By robots. With robots. And, and one of the downsides of the programming is that they don't have a complete vocabulary. <laughs> so there are holes in, in, in the words that they know. I don't remember that. And one of the main I've characters. I've seen both and I don't remember yeah, that. One of the main characters finds out that one of the words they don't know is archaic. And so when... She suspects that one of her friends has been replaced. She asks her if she knows what archaic means, and she has no idea. But she knows that character knows what archaic means. So it's like an indicator that she's been replaced. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not the person she appears to be. There's somebody else on the inside. And that's the same thing that's going on here. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's a good point to make. I actually really like the scene where he talks to Walter because... Oh, God, it's so perfect. Even though it is a little over the top. It is, but you watch it the first time, and you're like, this is creepy. Yeah, What's going really on? Yeah, he's really creepy the first time you see it. You watch it again, and you're like, oh, he's just an elderly white man talking about his granddaughter. Right, and so it's... It's really funny the way, the way that he interprets like how an older white person would behave and talk. <laughs> so even though it is slightly over the top, I think it's really funny. And those moments work for me. Even, even the part where he goes to fist pump and the old white guy inside the black character goes to shake his hand. Yeah, that's I can Andre. even believe that a little bit. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Okay. So sometimes my students will go to fist bump me and there is a moment where, oh, their hand is out. I go to shake it. I don't I look at it like I realize, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. And I go and I fist bump them. But I do understand that initial like, oh, he's got his hand out. I'm going to shake it. And so so, while I don't necessarily believe that he would do the full blown clasping of his fisted hand. I still understand the reference there, but the idea that she doesn't know the word snitch just seems a little ludicrous to me. Yeah. All right. So continue on. So while they're staying there, it turns out that supposedly, oh, we have this one big party every year and we just happen to come on that weekend. So then they have this party. And again, it's the same thing it was with the family. Just constant like, is it better? Or, you know... Uh, let me feel your arm or I know tiger, you know, like the stupid shit that people say that they don't realize is super racist and super uncomfortable. So here's what they say. Yeah. The golfer says, I do know tiger. Let's see your form. <laughs> well, I can't quite swing the hips like I used to, though. But uh, I do know tiger. Oh, 
That's great. Super. Gordon loves Tiger. Oh, best I've ever seen, ever. Hands down. Uh, so, Chris, uh, let, let's see your form. Because he wants <laughs> to know, if I take your body, will you be a good golfer? Yep. Um, and then the lady with the elderly husband on Who's, life support. Yeah. How handsome is he? Not bad, eh, Nelson? Not bad. Hey, Nelson. Like, needs the approval of the husband because he's going to be the one in there. <laughs> so is it true? Is it better? So, is it true? Is it better? Wow. 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 Like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then there's the, the guy, the fashion guy, who's like, the pendulum is swung back. Black is in fashion. Fair skin has been in favor for the past, what, couple of hundreds of years. But now the pendulum is swung back. Black is in fashion. Yes. Now, here's the thing. I can relate to doing certain things or saying certain things. With without, the best intentions. With the best intentions. Yeah, sure. No idea that what I'm doing or saying is racist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? There's nothing like inherently wrong with that. You learn. And you make changes and you do better next time. That's all it is. And I think that's that's one of the great things about this movie and about the white community in general, seeing and enjoying the movie, right? Is that like, that's exactly what this is for. Like Jordan Peele, yes, he, he said that, yes, it is for like the black horror movie watching audience who are a very, um, I think he said something like committed audience or something like that in an interview. But it's also meant to be inclusive. It's meant to be for everyone to see and enjoy and maybe even get something out of. There are certain things in this movie that I'm like, I can see why people doing this. I can see why people saying this shit because they don't recognize that it's racist. So anyway, there's this get together and we have all the people being like, hey, very pro-black. And it's like, the movie's pointing out that, hey, just because it's positive doesn't mean it's not racist. Exactly. It's like going up to an Asian person and saying, hey, are you good at math? Do you know how to play the violin? <laughs> like, that's racist too, even though they're stereotypically positive traits. Exactly. You might think that what you're saying or doing is perfectly positive, but that does not mean, mean it's not racist. Right, totally. So, during the party, he gets uncomfortable. He kind of gets an... Oh, he takes a picture of the black guy at the party. Andre. Because he, he's like, I think I know him, but I yeah. can't place it. So he takes a picture, and it has the flash on, and that's what pulls him out. And he suddenly becomes cognizant, and he's like, get out, get out, get out. Mm -hmm. Get out. Sorry, man. Okay. Get out! Yo! Yeah. Yo! Chill, man. Get out! Chill! Chill! Chill, chill man! Yeah. We're gonna chill! I feel like even in the trailer, even before I full on knew what the movie was about, I was like, he's obviously trying to warn him. But I think I think that we're supposed to think that he's just being an asshole. He's being aggressive and he wants him to leave, you know, like because I don't want you here. But yeah, no, he doesn't want you here, but not for the reason that but you're nothing thinking. about his performance tells me that it's being an asshole. Everything about it says, oh, my God, you need to get well, the fuck it's supposed out of here to, now. It's supposed to tread that line. And the other side of it is basically you just had a flash it surprised and shocked me i'm bleeding from the nose now get the fuck out of here what did you do to me <laughs> you know like and he supposedly had a seizure 
So he and Rose, Chris and Rose, go off on a walk, and during that walk, we end up finding out that they are doing an auction for him. And at this point, we still don't fully understand what is happening. You might have an idea at this point, but if it's the first time you're seeing it, I hardly believe that you would put two and two together that they're swapping out brains. Because it is a little... It's almost like a, a little ridiculous. Well, it's supposed to evoke a, a slavery auction. Absolutely. No, yes. Yeah. And that is definitely what I'm thinking. Instead of having him up there on the on the pedestal, it's a photo of him. And it's also a photo of him like the one you might see at a funeral. At this point, we know that the mother of Rose can do hypnosis. We know that she has hypnotized Chris to stop smoking. I didn't want to tell you. I got hypnotized last night. Nigga, get the fuck out of here. Oh, yo, yo, yeah, yeah, to quit smoking. But it's Rose's mom's a psychiatrist, so. Bruh, I don't care if the bitches are Yana Von Zant, okay? She can't fix my motherfucking life. You ain't getting in my head. I know she called me off guard, right? But it's cool because I'm curing. It worked. Bruh, how you not scared of this, man? Because the smoking... They're talking about how that's my daughter and how dare you put her around that stuff. But really, it's because he's damaging his body and they're trying to sell it. Exactly. So we know that she can do hypnosis and we've had him speak to his friend Rod over the phone. And his friend Rod is like, you know, they're probably making you into sex slaves, etc. <laughs> so at this point, the first time I saw it, I was under the impression that it was just strictly hypnosis. Uh-huh. Because again, to I make really them, love like, this movie. To coerce but them into being there. Swapping brains is ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Let's just, let's just put that out there. Of course it is. So he ends up getting bought by this old white blind man who loves art and always wanted to be a photographer. But unfortunately, he just wasn't very good at it at first. And then secondly, genetic disease, he ended up losing his sight. So he wants to have him for, as he puts it, for his eye. And this man is Stephen Root, who you might know as the guy from Office Space with the red swing line stapler. <laughs> He's me, me, me stapler. That's the same guy. Yeah, I could set the building on fire. Yeah. Uh-huh. He was also the boss in news radio. He's been in a lot of stuff. He also played a blind man in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where he is the guy running the radio station where they record uh, man of Constant Sorrow. I mean, I knew I had seen him. He's a character actor. I've seen him in a couple, a bunch of different things. I did not know he yeah. was the same guy. Uh -huh. They make him look a lot different. Way different, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we just talk about my confusion about the actual once you've changed bodies? Can I talk about that now? Sure, yeah. Okay. So throughout the film... There are a couple of times where we get a glimpse into the fact that it, that the black people that he's meeting at this family's home are not really there or they're different in some way, right? We mm -hmm. don't know for sure that they are white people inside of them till the end. We get it when he's talking to the maid. She, like Chris says, he, Chris says to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The character okay. Chris says Chris to Washington, her, yeah. <laughs> You know, I feel uncomfortable around all these white people. Because it's she, like he's being put on display. And, well, they got you on display now, huh? Right. And yeah. she starts to cry. Uh -huh. But through her tears. She's smiling. She smiles and says no. Okay, so we get the idea. Once we know what happened, the idea is that the woman inside uh -huh. 
is cognizant of this of this conversation uh-huh. and she's crying because she wants to tell him the truth and she can't. When she's trying to get out and the grandmother who's inside the the, the her head is like pushing her back. Yeah, trying to repress that. But there was nothing to bring her out. Well, they're they're passengers just watching the entire time and so I think she doesn't come out, right? It's you can't keep them repressed, but I imagine that depending on emotional states at any given time, there is potential for rejection, but it's the flash that causes this, you know, whatever response that brings the 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 back of the brain, the part that's attached to your brainstem uh up to the forefront and it starts to be able to control again. It doesn't make any sense where Walter gets to just be his original self inside the body again and pretend to be the grandpa. That's a little too much for me. And that's, that's where my problem lies because we get a glimpse of what it's like for them once they've been taken over. Yeah. We get to see Chris in the sunken place when he gets hypnotized. And the way that they show it is that he is in this kind of spacey place and he can just see a small picture frame mm-hmm. of what is happening it's on the It's trying to explain visu- through visual metaphor what it would be like to be trapped in your own body. Now, I've thought about it a lot because it really bothered me this, this third time seeing it. Mm-hmm. It didn't really bother me before, but now that I'm really trying to think about it because of the podcast, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, so perhaps... If you've been in that sunken place for a long time, you start to understand it better and you can figure out a way to get closer to the surface. Yeah. Because from what we see, when Chris goes into it, we see him there like twice, I think, in the movie. Yeah. It seems like he can't move. He can't get anywhere. He can't do anything. He can't control himself in any way. So the idea that she, in the middle of a regular conversation, could come to the forefront and make her cry. It's just a so little bit I disconnected. I don't understand. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I wouldn't I wouldn't try to draw too much connection to what we experience in the sunken place, to how they're able to take control, because it is just a visual metaphor. It's not actually what's happening. So wouldn't try to draw too much of a connection between that. As a matter of fact, uh, Jordan Peele has said, he tweeted... Um, that the sunken place means we're marginalized. No matter how hard we scream, the system silences us. And by the way, if you want an exercise in what it's like for black people to speak their minds publicly and how they get aggressively pushed back against, just go read the responses to this one tweet about what, hey, this movie that I made and the scene that I made, this is what it's a metaphor for. Like, it's like, truth you can't argue the with the guy about what his own movie means to him and the responses are fucking awful awful i know and i love that metaphor and i think it's great but it's kind of like the problem with society when you make that metaphor so realistic and you're trying to show your audience hey if this movie were real We understand it's a metaphor, but if you bring it to reality, which both these movies did, um, rich people sucking off of the poor people and black people being silenced by white people, you're probably going to run into the problem of it doesn't really work in real life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when he goes back, 
he decides that he wants to leave and he needs to get out of there right now, mainly because of two things. Number one, Rod, who is fucking awesome. <laughs> He's played, very funny. Played by Lil Rel Howery, uh, who's a comedian. He's really good. Apparently, he ad-libbed a lot of his own lines and stuff. You can tell from his delivery. It just comes so naturally. He's really funny. It, it, that, that, that was Andre, the guy he took a picture of. Yeah, you do recognize him because he dated the sister of a friend of ours who works at a movie theater. I made Chris pause it after we got this explanation because I was like, wait, who? Who? Pardon? Um, who? So I didn't understand. And we broke it down. Yes. It's their friend, her sister's boyfriend for a time, was Andre or Dre. That's Dre. Andre Hayworth. He used to kick it with Veronica. Veronica from what? Teresa's sister that worked at the movie theater on 8th. Yeah. yeah, that is him. That is him. But wait, 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 wait. This is so fucking, fucking crazy. Yo, he's different. No shit. Why is he dressed like that? And when Rod looks it up, he finds that he's been missing for a long time. And that's when, when Rod goes on his own mission but at first, Chris just knows that, oh, it's Dre. No, we do know him, and he's not acting the way we know him to act. Mm -hmm. That coupled with he finds the pictures of Rose and all the black men and one black woman that she dated, and which is contrary to her statement that Chris is the first black man she's ever dated, or she puts it, black man. Not to mention... <laughs> one of them is their groundskeeper and one of them is their maid. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's like, we need to get out of here and he's not telling her why. That was another really, really confusing moment for me because I'm like, okay, you know she's in on it. Why are you trusting her? Well, because he's trying to play on the fact that they are putting on a performance, right? And so if he doesn't act like he knows and he just wants to go home, because he doesn't tell her why, really, maybe he can he can get out of this safely which i think is supposed to be telling the story about how black people can act in certain situations where they may be uncomfortable just to get out of that situation you know you might need to behave a certain way that you might not normally act or you might not want to act you might be screaming inside but you need to play it cool because otherwise you're going to get into a lot of trouble, mm -hmm. you know, which is a really shitty situation for any human being to be in, let, let alone how often it must happen to black people. Yeah. So he, they're try he's trying to leave. And of course, she supposedly can't find her keys. And eventually he gets knocked out and he wakes up and he realizes he, they show him a video and they explain like, this is what we do. It is a service we provide, which is funny because that's something that the father said earlier. Yeah. In the film. Uh -huh. And then. The, about the hypnotism, he says. Yeah. And then he finds out, okay, they're going to swap my brain with this old white guy who's blind. And he's like, it, all these other people, it's about your race. They want to take advantage of all your genetic gifts, as they put it. Uh, but me, I, I could care less. I could give a rat's ass what color you are. I want your eyes. And that is another thing that doesn't really make sense. Because he says, I want your eye. The only reason that this character, Chris, is a great photographer is because of how he sees the world. Mm -hmm. And he needs his own perspective. I think that's part of the metaphor, is that you cannot 
see through the eyes of a black man. You just can't unless you're a black man yourself. And it's like that for, you know, you can say that for any type of person and anyone who has a unique experience. You can know about it, but you cannot have that experience yourself. It's just impossible. So, but that's why then bother? It's not going to work. But because he wants to. People want to be able to, you know, empathize, but they can't. They can only sympathize. And he's, you know, trying to say that, oh, yes, no, I'm going to get your eyes. I'm going to be able to see what it is that you see. But that's something that another type of, you know, benevolent racist would right. do, you know. And I think I think it works fantastically for the metaphor but again it doesn't work when you make it right what you're saying is literally the reason he has a good eye is because of his brain and Mm -hmm. you're gonna take his brain away yeah it's not physically his eyes that's the good thing yeah i see what you're saying but it's part of the metaphor so he tends to scratch when he's sleeping i guess is what the implication is and so he scratched this chair that's filled with Cotton. Cotton. Cotton, of course. And so he picks the cotton out. He puts it in his ears, pretends like he's knocked out. When they come to get him, he's not. He knocks out the the younger brother. Okay, just real quick. I hate this younger brother. I think he's awful. Not just in, as an actor? in the story, but as an actor. His performance is so... Fuck it. Like, he's trying way too hard to be, oh, look at me, aren't I creepy? And, uh, I think uh, he is bizarre. I think he's a bizarre character. But when you think about what his upbringing must have been right. like, it kind of makes it make more sense. But at the same time, that doesn't work when you ju- when you juxtapose it against Rose. Rose. Yeah. How is Rose able to act so normal and he is not. Yeah, but I mean, I haven't seen him in anything where he was any good. He was... Um, oh, he's in other things? Yeah, he was the Banshee in X-Men First Class. He's the one who gets the little wingsuit, and when he screams at the ground, it allows him to Oh, fly. he can, like, fly? I yeah. barely remember him as a character, so uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah, he, I, I mean, I haven't seen him in much, but this is especially just, like, you know, he was forgettable, obviously, in X-Men First Class. And I just, I hate this the decisions he makes. I hate him. Like his 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 mannerisms, the way he whispers with his hands and like the fucking facial hair and the long hair. Like I just everything about him made me want to punch him in the face. (laughs) Just maybe that's the point. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe maybe he's an amazing actor. (laughs) I don't know. I just attributed his bizarre actions, like I said, to his upbringing. But again, how is it that Rose is able to behave so normally she's the actress she's the one they get to lure all these black men in anyway so chris knocks out the brother and um kills the father kills the father with a deer head he kills the which mother. starts the fire because when the father dies he knocks over the equipment and it starts the fire oh my god when we saw this in theaters as soon as i saw the fire my brain went to I said the same evidence thing. i know evidence yeah no! i did the i did the same thing <laughs> And then he comes across the mother, the mother who does he kill her? He does. So does he, kill her he, again? he he knocks the teacup off the table, which would lead to him being hypnotized again and knocked out, which he doesn't want. She goes to stab him and he puts his hand up and she stabs right through his hand. And then she he manages to manipulate her arm around to where he like and he, he has her hand with the knife through his hand and stabs it into her head. And kills her that way. The brother comes back after getting knocked in, a, in the head, which Kelsey hates. 
<laughs> um, this is another example of people getting severe head trauma and getting up again to fight. And he does this thing where he thinks, you know, he talks about how um, because Chris did judo when he is a kid, which is defensive. Right. So it's all it's about always being on the defense. It's about using your opponent's moves against them. You know, it's a lot of flips and rolls. It's not exactly strikes, which, which you'd get in something like jujitsu, which is what the brother tries, uh, which is what the brother knows. So and, that was what they were trying to get across with that conversation. Yeah. But I don't know anything about martial arts. So judo is more defense. Jujitsu is more. Well, aggressive. I mean, you can hurt somebody with judo, but you use. You know, it's not about being aggressive and striking out at somebody uh, as much as it is manipulating their own bodies. Whereas the brother does jujitsu and he's like, you always got to be thinking three steps ahead. Right. So when the brother is, you know, Chris is reaching for the door. The brother has him around the back. Um, he, he grabs the door and opens it and the brother closes it with his leg. He does that twice. And on the third time. Chris is thinking a few steps ahead. He does it on purpose to get his leg up there so he can stab him in the leg. And then he stomps his head in a la drive. <laughs> and he. Meanwhile, Rose is upstairs with her headphones on. Okay, fine. You want me to believe that she's not hearing any of this? Fucking fine. But then. She does hear. He goes out, gets in the car, which she still doesn't hear. Uh-huh. And then he hits the maid because she comes out after him because it's really the grandma inside. Uh-huh. And that's what the sister hears. That's what Rose hears. Well, I think she's finally just being like, something's going on out there. <laughs> a little and, hard and to believe. she's eating her Fruit Loops and her milk separately. Which he, ha he Peel has full on said it meant nothing. <laughs> it's, just great. Her, it's just her supposed to be really weird. The <laughs> metaphor people read into it is that she's keeping the white milk and the colored Fruit Loops separate. But then why would she be eating colored Fruit Loops anyway if what that was really what he was trying yeah, to say? Yeah, no. What he has said is that she's eating Fruit Loops because she's crazy. <laughs> anyway, so she goes after him with a rifle. Going back to my dad's not going to chase you off the porch with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. She's coming off the porch with a rifle trying to shoot him. He can't leave... Georgina, this black woman behind after she was hit by a car, because that's the same thing that happened to his mom. And it's something that he feels great guilt about. It's about like, you know, being there for other black people instead of being, you know, selfish and staying home and watching TV. So he picks her up and gets her in the car. And so unfortunately, sometimes that can be dangerous. So that's what happens. She attacks him, causing them to get into an accident where she dies and he gets out. And when Rose is chasing after him, Walter comes running after him and she's like, get him, Grandpa. And he tackles him. He's on the ground and he gets his phone up and takes another picture of, of Walter this time, flashing him. And he becomes the black Walter guy. again. Yeah. And, and instead of the grandfather. And he, he takes the, the gun from Rose and says, let me do this. So instead, Walter shoots rose and then kills himself which is sad it's really sad because he knows there's no coming back from this there most might of be. his brain is missing you don't know most of his brain is missing it's probably in a jar burned up by the fire like <laughs> so it's you know this is his way of getting out he then uh, starts to choke rose chris does and she smiles at him because she knows he can't do it because he still has feelings for her well and he stops because he's like no i'm not gonna like Again, killing white people like that's that's not the answer. I don't I don't actually need this. I oh, need to get out. That's, that's more how important. you read it. That's how I read it. Yeah. 
I read it as he still had feelings for her. No. I thought that's why no, she was no, no, smiling. No no. no, no. She was smiling as like a twisted way to be to fuck with him. Huh. Like, oh, look at this. The black man's getting violent. You know, I like thought he just couldn't do it. It's, the, he... it's this thing where you you're you're constantly taking these these basically racist positions. And then when somebody comes back at you and gets aggressive, then you can call them aggressive, which is a which very. Is what I, that's exactly what I try to teach my students, because my students get so mad when they hear about nonviolence. Like, yeah, they're just like, no, you know. If somebody treated me that way, I would, you know, I would hit him back and blah, blah, blah. Nonviolence is a bunch of bullshit. And I'm like, okay, I understand the aggressive, the aggressive feelings you guys are talking about. If someone were to treat me that way, I understand that feeling. But you have to realize that it's much more powerful for you yeah. not to react aggressively. Well, because you react aggressively and they'll use it against you. Exactly. You know? So he, so he doesn't kill her. And presumably she bleeds out. But he is over the top of her when the sirens come and the lights are flashing and you're like shit it's a cop and when he's, i saw he's this fucked now when i saw this in theaters i thought that was how they were gonna end it that's before, how before i even saw the lights they filmed that ending i know i know they did yeah I, but i'm saying when i saw in theaters this whole end sequence of him trying to get away i was like why do i get the feeling that a cop is gonna show up and it's going to all be blamed on him. Because that's yeah. what I thought when I when I saw the fire, you know, evidence gone. Now he's the only one left alive. Why would anyone believe him? He's a black man. He has no evidence. Like, as sad as that is. And so when I saw the lights, I almost wanted to cry. Like, I was almost just like, this is so yeah. tragic. And then it ends up being Rod. And it's amazing. Oh, God, it's so good. And they sit in the car for a little while before Rod says, man, I told you not to go in that house. <laughs> I mean, I told you not to go in the house. So as a moviegoer, as a person who just enjoys film, I yeah. was glad that they gave me that ending because it would have been really shitty to end that movie that way. Yeah. But strictly as a metaphor, I think it would have been super powerful to have that ending yeah but he he didn't want people walking out of the movie feeling depressed they wanted them, <laughs> yeah, exactly he wanted them to, as a moviegoer yeah he wanted them to walk out of the movie feeling hopeful mm -hmm. now unfortunately there is a particular reality you know which is that a lot of this really is depressing but ultimately he's making a movie that he wants people to enjoy you can tell throughout the movie there's a lot of joy in this film there is a lot of humor in this film so i understand why people got really angry at the golden globes for putting it in the comedy section so when they did that jordan peele tweeted get out as a documentary <laughs> which is which, a perfect response i mean it's as much a documentary as it is a comedy yeah maybe this makes me racist i understand why the golden globes would want to put it in the comedy section yeah because there is a lot of humor when i walked out of that movie somebody said oh was it really scary I was like, actually, I think it was a lot funnier than it was scary. Yeah. That I mean, was plus, that was my response before I heard anything about the Golden Globes, before I heard anything. Like, right. it and you're is laughing, a funny movie. You're laughing at the white people in it. Um, yes. Lil Ray is hilarious in it. Yes. You know, there's a lot. And, and Jordan Peele is known for being a comedic writer and actor. So... But the movie deserves a little bit more respect than being oh, lumped yes. in with comedies and musicals when it's has but, I mean, a you could serious say the message. Same thing about it just being a horror movie. Like yeah. a lot of people don't think horror movies deserve awards, but oftentimes Only one best picture. Yeah, but oftentimes, like you feel like, well, they are still a horror. 
Yeah. You know, and this one has that. Well, it is really funny. And that sucks. That's really shitty. But that's yeah. the way that it deserves our, a little bit more respect than that. I feel that's why that's where our consciousness goes to when it comes to films. We have this aversion to saying that horror or comedy can be amazing. You know, only drama can be. And this has plenty of drama because it is based on real things, real racism, which is unfortunately alive and well today. All right. So that is the the plot of the movie. Kelsey, before we get into lightning round stuff, I wanted to talk about all the references. Okay. So you and I talked about this already, but horror is Jordan Peele's favorite movie genre. And that's interesting because he's a comedian. Yeah. Uh huh. Huh. But it's his favorite movie genre. And he based this movie mostly off of two films, which are based on novels by Ira Levin which are The Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby. The Stepford Wives being replacing people in an affluent white neighborhood and the paranoia of somebody in that scenario. And Rosemary's Baby, which is about everyone around you and in your life meaning you harm but acting kind and you not being sure what's going on but having a very general sense of unease or paranoia. And so... This takes that, and he said specifically that it was able to say important things about gender politics, and so he knew because of those two movies, he could do the same thing, but for race politics. So those are the two big ones that it, that it, that the movie's based on, but there are a lot of references to other horror movies, and I'm going to run through a list right now. The opening of the film is inspired by Halloween. Jordan Peele called it a subversion of the perfect white neighborhood. He says that Halloween and The Shining are probably the most referenced horror movies in the film. Lakeith Stanfield, he's the guy who plays Andre, says that the neighborhood is like a hedge maze. That's The Shining. The opening title is intentionally the same color as the opening title in The Shining. It's like a blue hue. The tour of the house is also a reference to when the Torrance family gets a tour of the Overlook Hotel where you see the entire setting once through, and by the end of the movie, it's all going to have a completely different context. Jordan Peele thought that that's, you know, a really exciting thing to take the audience through. Just a tour of what's going to mean something completely different by the end of this movie. Georgina standing in the kitchen when they're doing the tour is a reference to the twins in The Shining in the <laughs> hall and Hannibal Lecter. As the camera pans and you see him just standing there, he says, just the whole vibe of coming up on somebody waiting for you patiently is creepy. <laughs> Walter running directly at Chris and the camera, and by extension us, is supposed to evoke North by Northwest. He says, somebody running at you or towards you just creates a visceral and physical reaction for the audience. And it's very true. The, the hypnotism scene where Rose's mother hypnotizes Chris is supposed to evoke early scenes between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice with not only the relationship between the two characters, the power dynamic and, and how some, one of them feels uncomfortable and one of them is very calm and, and analytical, but also the filming style with the close-ups on their faces back and forth. When the movie cuts from when Chris gets captured and it has an extended sequence of Rod finding out that Andre's been missing, going to the police and, and talking to, Rose, that is a nod to The Shining, 
when once the action starts ramping up, it cuts to Halloran, Dick Halloran, just at home. And then it spends a good chunk of the movie of just him getting to the Overlook Hotel. Only to be killed. Yeah, only to be killed. Yeah, so there's a <laughs> little bad part of that. So that's another reference to The Shining. Uh, the video Chris is forced to watch is similar to the Dharma Initiative videos in Lost. Jordan Peele also specifically says that it's like in The Matrix when Morpheus just lays out exactly what's happening to Neo. Well, at the airport, there's an announcement about Flight 237, which is the same number as the room in The Shining. That's the only one I picked up. Because I've been to the Stanley Hotel <laughs> and I've seen the room 237. This is unconfirmed, but people think the title of the movie could be a reference to the tagline for the Amityville Horror, which is, for God's sake, get out. Oh. There is one Asian person at the party. Having an Asian person at the party is a reference to the Japanese guy in, at the end of Rosemary's Baby. How it's just a bunch of white, old white people, and then all, there's just like a random Japanese guy there. But you'll notice in the auction bingo scene, his bingo card is a different color from everyone else's. The other thing about the bingo cards is that you'll notice that every single one of those bingo cards, they start with a winning card. I saw that. Which is a reference to white privilege, basically. Right. Starting in a in a better position than anyone else. Right. By default and generally. And that is my list of references. So that's a lot of references in this one movie. It's very obvious that Peel is a big fan of horror movies. So lightning round, Kelsey. What do you want to talk about about this movie? Let's throw some stuff out there. I got a bunch. It's really sad when he's walking through the neighborhood. It felt it reminded me a lot of when Trayvon Keith Stanfield. Oh, no, absolutely. One hundred percent. It is an overt reference to Trayvon Martin. As he's walking, he said he's talking to himself and he says, just keep walking. Don't do nothing stupid. Just keep walking. And then they keep following him. And he's like turning. He turns around and goes, not today. Not today, man. Uh huh. No, nope, you know, I'm going to turn. I'm just getting out of here. It's so sad to think that, A, you can't walk down the street without fearing for your life. Uh huh. And or B, the idea that he couldn't have turned around and been like, get the fuck away from me. Right, because then he would he be seen as aggressive. Exactly, and, yeah, uh -huh. and that is and, tragic. And it's better for him to just, quote unquote, get out of the situation mm -hmm. than be allowed to do whatever it is that he wants to do. And he wasn't threatening anybody. He wasn't harming anybody. He was just walking down the street, and he still had to take all that into account. Not to take away from the fact that this is about racism, but I mean, thinking of it from just a woman's perspective... Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I'm walking down a street by myself. It's a different it's perspective, night, but it's just as awful. If there's a man behind me, n by nothing that the man has to do, I will be nervous. Yeah. And that's, I mean, again, I'm not trying to say that what black people have to deal with is the same as what I deal with. It's just different. But I can connect to that. Like, sure. It doesn't matter what the fuck the person behind me is doing. I will be nervous about what's going to happen. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Chance the Rapper was so excited for this movie, he tweeted out, Did I not tell y'all Get Out was incredible? Best film across any genre in a while. Go see it today. He then bought out every single ticket for every single showing at a particular movie theater and just told people, uh, this is in Chicago, and he just tweeted out, just roll up on this theater with an ID and see the movie. 
He literally paid for everyone who went to this one theater in Chicago to see it for free because he loved the movie so much. That's amazing. Yeah, Chance the Rapper's a pretty cool dude. They think he's a righteous dude. So, for whatever reason, I didn't remember that Childish Gambino is in the first, is in the scene where we get to meet him, where Red we meet bone. Chris. Yeah. And as you pointed out earlier, there are lyrics in that song, like, don't let them catch you sleeping. Yeah. You know, don't mm-hmm. be alert, stay awake. I thought that was a good thing, and I didn't catch it at all the first two times I saw it. Right, you're like, oh my god, Redbone's in this. <laughs> <laughs> The man who says in Rod's TV, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That's actually Jordan Peele saying that line. And it's a reference to the United Negro College Fund. That was their slogan, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. When they hit the deer, so that when they drive up to go to her parents' house, yeah, they hit a deer. Yeah, I recognize that that was mainly to build up Chris's character because it's showing us that he has a lot of issue with someone being hit by a car. First of all, because it was mom. Yeah. Secondly, the idea that this car- this animal was in was in pain and he had to put it out of its misery even though he didn't want to like just it's showing us a lot about his character but when it happens she's actually the rose is mm-hmm. the one who's driving and she looks scared and she's like oh my god are you it's okay it's not planned exactly it's not planned uh-huh so she had to be real even if only for a few moments she was being real she when cared she cared about him yeah, yeah. mm-hmm I don't understand. But she's like collecting them. She's collecting all these black men. She just, you know, wants to keep them. She doesn't want to have a continuing relationship with them. I think she has fun doing what she's doing. But she, she, and she cares about them, but that doesn't mean, you know, she can't still see them as less than her. I almost wish I could understand. I just, I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't understand I understand that she's been brought up to believe in all of this crap. That's, yeah. Y- y- you can't. And this is something I also try to teach my kids. When does it become their fault? If a child is brought up in a completely racist home. Yeah. At what point are they responsible they for their own actions? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, one po- at what point do they become like, it's your fault? And kids t- typically will give me weird answers like, oh, when you become an adult at 12 years old or, you know, some will say 18. But it's like, if that's all you've ever known, when yeah. does it become your issue? Well, that's why you do things like make movies like this. is So you can change the cultural discourse and you can get people who might not otherwise be exposed to these ideas exposed to these ideas. The main theme is uh, Sikaliza Kwawahanga. It is actually sung in Swahili, except for the one word brother, which uh, apparently the composer Michael Abels, he felt it had like a universal meaning. It's supposed to be universal, so it's not actually translated. But according to Abels, the voices in the song represent the souls of black slaves and lynching victims trying to warn Chris to get away. Because the actual translation is, brother, run, listen to the elders, listen to the truth, run away, save yourself. And this guy is actually not known for doing movie scores, film scores. But 
Jordan Peele had heard some of his albums and thought he could really, you know, he'd have a connection to this style of music and he'd be able to put people on edge. So you'll notice that the score throughout the movie is very non-traditional. While he's giving the tour, the father talks about his dad, who's the grandpa who invented this whole thing. Yeah. And how he was a runner and how he ran at the Olympics in the 40s. Well, when the Jesse Olympic Owens... qualifiers against Jesse Owens, who won and went to the Olympics. So his his father never went to the Olympics. And he, he says, you know, he almost got over it, which is a great line. Because, you know, obviously it's pointing out like he never quite got over the fact that a black man beat him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then as he's giving the tour, he says, oh, don't go down in the, in the basement. There's black mold down yeah, there. Uh-huh. You know, just little things like that I thought were good. And that guy's a great actor. So. Well, yeah. So it's Bradley Whitford who is in West Wing. And that's apparently why he was hired, you know, is because he liked him in the West Wing. <laughs> Um, but he also has a, has a great line, uh, which has a double meaning, especially for grammar junkies, which is what, while he has Chris on the tour, Dean says, we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. Now, pronoun antecedent, them means the same thing as they. In this phrase, because you haven't changed what the antecedent is, it, the pronoun still refers to the same people. And so when they died, meaning the parents, I couldn't bear to let them go, meaning the parents, not the servants. So it's a little nod to the fact that the servants are actually the parents inside their bodies. That's another reason why this movie deserves to win Best Screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> Another time that I was confused, and I forgot to bring this up earlier, when the grandma who is in the black maid is pouring the iced tea, she starts to stare off, which is telling us that the the woman inside of her is trying to break. Uh-huh. Why again? Okay, so, <laughs> so there's one thing that we haven't mentioned, and that is they've actually mentioned it in the honest trailers for the movie is that your brain continues to age just like your body does. Your brain is not immortal. So theoretically, the old person's brain inside that head is still an old person's brain and is getting older and is starting to fail. And maybe even though it's only the most basic instinctual parts of a person back there in the back of the skull, it could theoretically be able to overpower and cause problems with this elderly person's brain that's failing. Oh, you mean the old white person's brain? Yeah, it continues okay, to age. Okay, I was going to say, she's young. Yeah, just be <laughs> just because you put an old brain in a young body doesn't mean the old brain is going to stop aging. It still gets old. This is a fun one. All the bad guys play what are traditionally considered to be white people games. Bocce ball. Bocce ball. Bingo. Which is, yeah, bingo and lacrosse. That's right. So the brother has the lacrosse stick. Chris beats the brother over the head with a bocce ball. And they do the auction with the bingo carts. I thought that was fun. I just want to point out that Daniel Kaluuya's looks are the fucking best. If you go watch this movie again, just pay attention to Daniel Kaluuya's face. 
it is so so good like you you know what's happening inside his head every single time he makes a particular face like when there are uncomfortable conversations and stuff like that like he's he's a really good actor yeah he does a fantastic job in this movie like let alone his impeccable american accent like he just does a lot of really good physical acting especially with just his face yeah yeah, it was pretty. Go impressive. back and watch it again, and just pay attention. Which is to why his he's looks. up for best actor. Yep. Mm-hmm. As you know, what I forget who's running against him, but I think he has a really good shot. Although he is running against, I think Daniel Day Lewis in his last performance ever, so uh, that might be a tough one to beat. But Daniel Day Lewis already got his Oscar; he doesn't need another one. Another reason, another thing that confused the heck out of me when it comes to the mechanics of how it works with two brains being in the same body. When he's talking to Walter, again, he's Walter, the black actor, is trying to be white. And it's quite so funny. good. He's very creepy and awkward, right? So then when we see Chris talking to Rose again, he says, I got the feeling that he was jealous. Now, first of all, I did not get that feeling. I know that he says some awkward shit like a real keeper. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. No, he keeps talking about her in a way that if it's a grandfather talking about his granddaughter, it's like he's trying to to talk her up to this new boy. Right. You know, like, hey, isn't she fucking fantastic? But if it's just another black guy who works on the premises where she grew up, you might think that he has an obsession with her. And I guess I just didn't see that at all. And I guess you're right. We're supposed to think of it as it being the grandfather talking her up. From my perspective, it seemed like when he says it seemed like he was jealous, it was because he's the black guy inside who used to date her. But now that you say that, no, we're supposed to take it as he's the grandpa. That yeah, but that's sense. actually really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think we could, you know, take take the parts of it, you know, that there but is still a part of it. if you take it the way him. I did, it doesn't make sense because he wouldn't be the one expressing those opinions. A, he yeah. wouldn't be he, he still wouldn't be jealous. And B, even if he was why would that come to the surface again? Yeah, it could still be a nod, yeah. though. You know, it could be a nod to that, a reference to it, but not actually the truth. It really bothers me in the party scene. And every time I've seen this movie, I can't not hate it. His denim shirt with no collar drives me fucking nuts. And I don't know why. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. Chris's shirt during the party he wears an a button-up thin blue denim shirt open with a white shirt underneath he has the sleeves slightly rolled up and it has no collar and it drives me nuts I don't even <laughs> I can't even picture it's it. a very distracting costuming choice for me <laughs> uh, when when uh the friend rod is trying to figure it out He's got like this, you know, paper where he's, you know, trying to make connections. He has magic on he's there. Like, right? that magic? magic ain't real. <laughs> <laughs> but he's putting everything on there. It's great. You um, know, and that's that that's a reference, you know, I think to not only, you know, great friends, even the friends that might annoy you because they're idiots, you know, about looking out for each other. When he's on the phone with Rose. He quickly, you know, when she starts saying, like, you want to fuck me, he says, no, I want to fucking fuck you. Bye. And then he hangs up and he goes, she's a genius. What the fuck you know? Chris is my best friend. Hey, look, if you give something to 
I know you think about fucking me, Rod. genius it's great too <laughs> really really good and one of the last lines of the, of the movie by rod the friend ts motherfucking a we handle the situation consider the situation handled uh-huh. <laughs> this is great he's so funny how you find me i'm ts motherfucking a we handle shit that's what we do. Consider this situation. Fucking handle. So Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I already know this. I'm fairly certain it has 100%. It did. Oh, it did. It has a 99%. It went down by one? We're going to talk about that in just a second. Okay. It was named the best rated film of 2017 on Rotten Tomatoes. Literally everyone who reviewed it Gave it a positive review. It doesn't mean everyone thought it was a perfect movie. Again, we know how the Rotten Tomatoes scoring works, except for one person. And I'd like to talk about this person for a little bit. He's a black man. His name is Armand White. Armand White is a film critic troll. He is widely regarded to be a troll who the only reason you know his name is because he takes contrarian positions to fucking everything. I'm going to go over a few of these things for you. He didn't like The Dark Knight. He gave it a negative review. He did like Jonah Hex. He gave it a positive review. So if we're talking about comic book movies, a no to Dark Knight, but a yes to Jonah Hex. I didn't see Jonah Hex. I mean, I heard it was bad, but I never saw it. So I can't make a judgment there. (laughs) He He didn't like There Will Be Blood, but he did like Band Slam, calling it the best American movie this summer. I don't know what that is, but... There will be blood. It's a Vanessa Hudgens, Lisa Kudrow music movie. I've never heard of it, but I have heard of people who did not enjoy There Will Be Blood. I loved it, but I know a lot of people were bored by it. I'm pointing out a trend here about this person and how you can dismiss everything he says. He calls Bridesmaids an overly contrived jumble, trying out too many comic ideas that eventually swamp the central subject of what a modern young woman expects regarding friendship, courtship, and marriage, but calls G.I. Joe... Livelier filmmaking than such utter banality as Iron Man and Star Trek and Harry Potter's half-blooded chintz. Okay, so yeah, so he just does shit to be, like you said, contrary. Yes, speaking of race relations, he gave a positive review to Fast Five. Dom and O'Connor repeat the urban ethnic mythology that started with James Cagney and Pat O'Brien in 1930s gangster films at Warner Brothers Studios, but update realities to include contemporary post-civil rights era race mixing. And this is what he had to say about Up. Up's aesthetic failure stems from its emotional letdown. He didn't like Up. All this deflated cinema and Pixarism mischaracterizes what good animation can be, as in Coraline, Monster House, Chicken Little, Teacher's Pet, and The Iron Giant. So there are a few good ones in there, but others, it's like, really? (laughs) Um, He's saying it looks shitty, and it is shitty. He doesn't like the aesthetic of Up? Yeah. Okay, first of all, Up is an almost perfect movie, so he can fuck off. But he doesn't think the style? He doesn't like the style? Apparently not. Let's talk a little bit about how he feels about Adam Sandler movies. (laughs) 
<laughs> Grownups. Sandler's reckless comedy pokes fun at his clique's immaturity. He doesn't pretend to create character studies. Rather, he satirizes their common silliness as they revisit adolescent pranks and attitudes. One ploy of Sandler and Fred Wolf's screenplay is to democratize humor, spread affectionate derision all around by repeating jokes that will grow into an appreciation of our full humanity. Yeah, he's just an asshole. Okay. I, I now it. pronounce you Chuck and Larry. It's a modern classic. By comparison, Hollywood's most celebrated gay comedies, In and Out, Chuck and Buck, Blades of Glory, even the laughable Brokeback Mountain, were all failures of nerve. But you know what wasn't a failure of nerve? I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. There, I can't, I, I can't believe that he believes this shit. He so also yeah, gave a negative review. Control. Yeah, okay. he also gave a negative review to Toy Story 3. So I would just like to point out that he is an asshole. Now, since then... There have been two other negative reviews, but I haven't looked into them. But he was the first negative review, and he's the one that brought it down in 2017 from 100 to 99. And I hate to get super defensive about a Rotten Tomatoes score. 99 is a fantastic score. It doesn't need to be that everyone liked the movie, and I don't feel a compulsion to do so. I just think that Armin White is a fucking jackass, and he shouldn't be included in these rankings. I agree, based on what you just told me. The consensus is... Funny, scary, and thought-provoking, Get Out seamlessly weaves its trenchant social critiques into a brilliantly effective and entertaining horror comedy thrill ride. I would give it a 95. I That's exactly what I would give it. 95. Now, again, what Rotten Tomato scoring is and our scoring, those are two different metrics. <laughs> as far as what we think of the movie, we would give it a 95. It's It's damn near the best rating I could give a movie because... It's absolutely fantastic. I fucking love this movie. Honestly, the the biggest flaw for me is the fact that it the, the metaphor just doesn't translate to reality well yeah. enough. Not only was it the best rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes in 2017, it is also the best rated horror movie of all time. Wow. Yeah. Better than Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, it has like Better than The Exorcist. It has like 300 reviews and only 3 of them are negative. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very incredible. So that is, after a long time, 2017's Get Out. Again, nominated for Best Actor for Daniel Kaluuya and for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay for Jordan Peele, among the other producers. So congrats to them on the nominations. And... I really hope they win a few of those. I'd be really happy if it won Best Picture, but I would totally be understanding if it didn't. Uh, but Best Screenplay, Best Actor, totally. So, Kelsey, what are we watching next week? We will be watching 1968's Rosemary's Baby and 2014's Rosemary's Baby. And we have never seen 2014's made-for-TV version. It's a, it's a mini-series starring Zoe Saldana. But... The original is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. And then it ties so greatly into Get Out and society. You know, just the that the paranoia, paranoia of believing that these people are not on your side when there are when there's very little reason to not. Believe Seriously, that. if you're a horror movie fan and you haven't seen Rosemary's Baby, fix it. That movie's fantastic. I showed it to you for the you first did. time. You did. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> so go and watch at least the original Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> we'll be watching it as well, and we'll come back next week to talk about it. 
You can write us, tell us things we got wrong, add your own point of view, send an email to podcemetery at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, rate and review, share it with your friends, you know, all that. We need to get that exposure. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, the rich have always sucked off low class shit like you. Are not I? I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. To the sacred place to see the dream. I can't escape. Moses and things This week, 19. I don't remember the year. Hey, Chris, editing this episode, I'm talking to you right now. Hey, pay attention. Edit this out. Excuse <coughs> me. Hold on. Oh, man, that was. Oh. That hit me real hard. Oh, God, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, yeah, just laugh it up, Chuckles. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Oh, those are boobs, and that's the butt. Okay.